Hello, and welcome to Unabashed Book Snobbery, the podcast where we gush about George R. R. Martin's The Song of Ice and Fire, and endlessly kvetch about its awful adaptation, Game of Thrones. This is a place where book snob is a compliment. My name is Kylie, and here with me is Julia. Hi, everyone. So we both write for our newly launched website, fandomfollowing.com, and we also blog about Game of Thrones on our Tumblrs. I'm G.O.T. Gibson Musings, and she's the Cultural Vacuum. Okay, so before we start, uh, this is a little awkward, but uh, for a very, very long time now, we've been getting asks and just kind of (laughs) comments that make a certain assumption about uh, Kylie and I. And our relationship. To be fair, listening to yeah. our podcast does not do anything to disabuse people of those notions. Probably not. But, um, yeah, so Kylie and I are not together in any way. <laughs> no, we, uh, we actually... We've never actually... We've never met. <laughs> yeah. We just started talking on a message board a year ago. Yeah, we're kindred spirits, you know? We're mm-hmm. like Anne, uh, Anne and Diana, if all my fellow Canadians know exactly what I mean instantly. Which one am I? Um, well, you're a redhead, so you're obviously Anne. Ah, okay. There you I go. can be Diana. Okay. Yeah. I'm She's dignified. <laughs> yeah. She marries the boring man. But yeah, as much as we appreciate you guys shipping us, ship a, ship a, uh, <laughs> ship our bro TP. Yeah. That's, that's fine with us. <laughs> um, but we just, we just wanted to like clear the air on that because we would have told you if we were yeah. together. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, and uh normal i guess yeah, but, yeah some of these not some of these asks are hilarious like there was seriously one day where a, a lot of people sent me an ask that we they thought we broke up <laughs> <laughs> they were like checking in on me we're, we're just gal pals guys <laughs> but like literally yeah. Yeah, like literally <laughs> it's fine we're uh mm-hmm. we're trish and jessica Ooh, that's gonna be controversial because i know a lot of people ship them <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm sure if, like, you know, if we were together, we'd do fine, but we're not. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We would just talk about a lot of Jordan's headcount. It would be the exact same thing. So, yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so today on Unabashed Book Snobbery, we're going to be continuing with our retrospective series. So as you guys all know, Kylie and I are in the process of co-writing a series of retrospectives on all the plot lines of season five of A Game of Thrones. Platonically co-writing. Platonically co-writing, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just being an asshole. Yeah, uh, we have, we, we just finished Deadpan's greatest, uh, bestest birthday gift, when, which was... Name day gift, sweetheart. Oh, I'm sorry. I just called you sweetheart, that's really, yeah. <laughs> you see, I, I teach elementary school, so I call everybody sweetheart and my love. We also happen darling. to like each other. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. You're okay. You're okay, Kylie. Eh, you could be better. Um, no, so uh, we just finished writing Deadpan's uh, bestest name day gift ever, which of course we all know is St. Tyrion. And then after that, I think we just have Bravos left to do, right? So then yeah. we have... We don't have a clever name for that one yet. Mm-hmm. But today we're going to be focusing on the wall retrospective that we cleverly named, and by we I mean Tumblr user McAnnie suggested it to <laughs> us, uh, John's Folly. Yeah. Be- because Ollie is... Yeah, okay. Don't explain the joke. Okay. Um, but speaking of names, we should go over some fandom names. 
Yep, there's not that many in this one, actually. Uh, there's uh, Johnny Cardboard, our hero, who has the personality of a wet piece of cardboard. Oh, it's a wet piece of cardboard? Like, it's been sitting out in the rain? Yeah, that makes him a little more interesting. <laughs> he is a dry piece of cardboard. Yeah, he's ju- he's he's very functional. Yes. Uh, he will hold your Stannis, things. Stannis does get called Satanus after he burns Shireen, but for the sake of the wall, that didn't happen yet. So we just kind of call him Stan. Cause, like, yeah, he's not interesting enough for a fan name. No. <laughs> um, oh, the best fan name, though, is in this plotline, which is Melisandre. And You're so immature, Kylie. We have gotten a lot of flack for this one, which we didn't even come up with, by the way. It was no, uh, wonderful. Yeah. Um, I, I really like it because the whole point of these fandom names is that we're also trying to highlight D&D's bullshit. Mm-hmm. So by continually calling out, and of course we know that people back then, quote unquote, weren't running around in bras. Like we, we get it. But the whole thing is that they've really reduced Mel to be nothing but her tits and yeah. occasionally some like sad looks. So we're, we're really trying to, to hang a light. It's not even lampshading. It's just we're really trying to shine a flashlight on that, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then we have um, showboating Sam and assertive Gilly, which, <laughs> yeah, we'll be talking a lot about these two characters and why they are the way they are. But we'll also pretty much just be calling them Sam and Gilly, just sometimes. Yeah. Like he's showboating Sam. Uh, and then the same goes for book, book snob Shireen. Shireen yeah. is one of us, guys. <laughs> she totally, She was totally reading A World of Ice and Fire. She actually was. She, like, has opinions on the Greens and the Blacks. Like, not only is she a book snob, she's, she's in the fandom, guys. Yeah, totally. Uh, then, then there's also Smurfette, which is just Carsey, which she wasn't even named on the show, so there's no reason yeah. not to call her Smurfette. We, we, um, before, like, we got into the marketing material after the episode aired, we were, like, in both of our, in both of our kind of, like, live reactions. Com- yeah, our live commentary pieces. We were, like, calling her featured extra or. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's, random I, spear wife or something like that. Yeah, they never name her. I think I named her, like, Bullseye Extra or something weird like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> don't put your kids on a boat and tell them it's going to be fine and you're right behind them. Just don't do it, guys. You're gonna She's two out. days from retirement. <laughs> and then you want to take the last day? Oh, okay. We're proud of this one. Okay. Beardy. Beardy is that, like, random guy who's tall and has beard and speaks with an Icelandic accent. They call him like Tormund Giant Spain, but we're confused. We're confused why. We were actually really excited to see Tormund Giant mm-hmm. Giant Spain show up on our screens and we just got this weird beardy dude. So he's just yeah. beardy. He's got this like really weird Icelandic name. This was totally not an excuse for us to use an office reference. It's fine. <laughs> um so yeah, those are the names. Uh and again they're really not confusing <laughs> other than yeah. beardy. I think they're all some derivation of their name. Yeah. So as as we always do, uh, we are going to go over the plotline that D and D gave us mm-hmm. and what happened. Yeah, so, and trying not to go overboard. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. The whole thing opens with uh, it's John and Ollie, and their ship name is Jolly because they're just <laughs> so wonderful. Yeah, but they're bro TPs. They are definitely bro- yeah, of course, because cardboard knows about proper boundaries uh but yes yeah. it's it opens with them bonding which is just so perfect given the ending mm-hmm. um and by bonding i think we mean like cardboard is smashing his face <laughs> but, but there's like fight. some there's some affectionate t- face touching so it balances out yeah it's really weird though because assertive gilly and showboating sam are just like looking on yeah 
And she's like sewing or something. She's like getting sassy about it. Yeah. And Sam's just randomly bragging about killing Fens and White Walkers. <laughs> but, but, uh, Gilly is really concerned about um, Alistair Thorne being elected because he's super racist and she's afraid that he'll do racist things. And... Apparently she's not wrong. Thorne's a little preoccupied yeah. though because he has a new boyfriend. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're always together and they're very close. Legitimately, they could have been dating. It doesn't matter. Or maybe they're just bros. Sure. Yeah, you don't want to assume things about people. <laughs> and then what happens? Uh, then a wild Melisande's bra approaches. <laughs> yeah, probably she's like she's in all black. What's yeah? Even... Apparently, it's the lighting. Then yeah. she's supposed to be in the red. She whatever. tells him, she tells him that. Mance wants, or Mance, Stan wants to see him, so they ride yeah. up onto an elevator, and while they're on the elevator, Melisande's probably goes, tell me, are you a virgin? <laughs> and, you know, John is not a virgin, capital. Uh, so then she just looks and goes, good. Guys, like, human beings in general, don't do that. Don't harass people in elevators. It's very really serious. <sighs> okay, so then Stan and Davos are, like, on top of the wall, and they're just hanging out. Yeah. And they talk to John, and they tell him he has no friends, and they say that they'll make the wildlings citizens of the realm. And then Stan is like, oh, by the way, I'm going to burn Mance Raider unless you can talk him into, like, bending the knee to me. And, and John is like, huh? Yeah, there's really no reason given for any of this. It's not about how Mance was an oathbreaker or anything. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. we'll be getting into this later. But it's just it's just Stan declaring what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of confused why. Yeah. And then he has this super profound conversation with Vance Raider. <laughs> it's a non-versation. Yeah. God. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it proved that they had an underused actor and it was tragic. Siren <laughs> um. <laughs> Hines can act. Yay. We all know now. All right. Then um, they set him on fire. Yep. They that, just, that happens. They burn him, and he then doesn't follow Valor. And the That's direction, the direction was so subtle. Where <laughs> all the people we're supposed to agree with look upset, and all the people yeah. we're supposed to hate are like grinning. <laughs> yeah. So. That's Elise. Nobody likes her. Yeah, she's beaming. As, yeah. As like, he, uh, yes. wouldn't it be shocking if she changed her mind about burning people alive? Yeah, that, that would be very shocking. Uh, very, super and, shocking. And uh, John, in no position of authority, no no nothing, uh, decides to mercy kill Mance. Yeah, just because he's so cool. And Mance legitimately was very uncomfortable. The whole thing was uncomfortable. Again, Kieran Hyde's... Yeah, it was, it was probably the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah. And then it's the next episode. And we are in what we call Shireen's School for Conveniently Placed Illiterates. <laughs> because Shireen is the best adult literacy tutor ever. She really is. Gilly already knows the letter S. Yeah, I mean, this this person has never seen writing before. She doesn't exactly get the concept. Like, yeah. let me put my my primary school teacher hat on. It's not as obvious to people who've been literate for a very long time. But yes. like, the conventions of writing are not they're not intuitive and they're not straightforward. So yeah, she's an awesome adult literacy tutor. Yeah, we're being legitimate. We're, we're, yeah, we're being Shireen is awesome. Ernest, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is also Shireen's school for conveniently seated material because yeah. they just let's talk about grayscale. Let's just talk about grayscale transition with no real. <laughs> Again, this is a thing in all of Game of Thrones. We call them nonversations, but it's just mm-hmm. that people will randomly assert shit, and it's yeah. they're talking near each other, but it's just because of what they have to say, so they can tick off little boxes. So they talk about grayscale. They also talk about how Salise is such an asshole to Shireen. Mm-hmm. 
And then I think Shireen, Celise comes in and orders, uh, is that this scene? Yeah. Yeah, she, she, she orders Sam and Gilly out and then she throws shade at book readers. Yeah, it's all our books we don't know. Yeah, go fuck yourself, Benny Offenweiss. And then we had a scene where a 10-year-old girl owns Stan. Yeah, Leanna Mormon. We're, she's awesome, too. We're so happy. She's she's in the awesome Northern uh, Girls trifecta, along with Ellis Karstark and Wyla Mandry. Yeah. Manderly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was just, like, something they put in there for fan service, so. Which we appreciate. If only they had adapted the plot, too. Yeah, uh, that would be nice. But once once that's done, Stan is just like, I need... I need you, Johnny Cardboard, to take the North because this 10-year-old doesn't like me. Yeah. Um, so I could legitimize you, make you uh, John Stark the Cardboardy, uh, <laughs> make you Lord of Winterhell, and yeah, it would be pretty cool. And it's probably a really good idea, too, because that asshole Thorne's definitely going to get elected and he hates you. Yeah, you have no friends. Yeah, Davos, that's Davos's entire function is just continually remind John of how few friends he has. <laughs> this, this is literally the only thing he does this season. Okay, so then they, we move on to the, like, the dining hall. Oh, and actual. John is talking to Sam about whether or not he should accept this offer to, of legitimization. And then he's just like, nah. That's it. The end. Yeah. Okay. It's election time! Yay! Forget about it. This election that was really well seated and they really took a good amount of time building up. Um, yeah. it, there's like unenthusiastic speeches given about, uh, Thorne and about, it was Ballister, right? Uh, Dennis Ballister. Dennis Ballister, yeah. And we can tell that no one likes the candidates because John is unenthusiastically clapping with his cup. Yeah, it's, it's very Republican debate. <laughs> yeah, it's so bad. So then Sam just randomly pops up. Yeah. And, he nominates John, but then he immediately starts doing this, like, stand-up comedy routine <laughs> about how much of a coward Slint is. <laughs> Everyone's laughing. Everyone's, like, yucking it up. And then somehow that's, that's it. That's, that's the speech. Yeah. And that's why they're convinced that John is the best candidate. Yeah. And it's a dead tie between John and Slint and, uh. John and Thorne. Yeah, John Thorne. And Eamon Targaryen uh, cast the deciding vote for John because yeah. he just does not give a fuck. Because drama. Because drama. And this Eamon Targaryen seriously yeah, does like, not if, give if any they, fucks. If they had countdowns, like countdown timers on this show, we would always end with one second left. The kind of show this is. Okay. And then, of course, you get an Ollie reaction shot. We had to mention all the Ollie reaction shots. Oh, I'm sorry. We already missed like five of them. <laughs> Ali's reacting to everything. He's really happy about this election. Yes, he's super, super Even jealous. though, when Thorne, actually, Thorne gave a counter speech against John, and Thorne mm-hmm. said something like, he bedded the wildling. And Ali, like, narrowed his eyes at that. Yeah, he doesn't like it's that idea. It's really subtle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then the new Lord Commander, he meets with Stan in the next episode. And we find out that Ollie is job shadowing him now. <laughs> he's he's his steward, I think, but he's not even in yeah. the watch, so <laughs> Isn't he? He he memorized the vows, but I don't think he's taken them yet. Well he's, he's still like a kid, right? You yeah, be... he's too young. Yeah. But he's like definitely that's he's, he's on he, that kind of like track. He's shadowing him to the point where uh one of the like the king of Westeros in theory, you know, mm-hmm. obviously Stan's claim is up in the air, but um the king wants to speak to the Lord Commander alone, and John is like, no, no, Ollie needs to stay, because one yeah. day he might rule. <laughs> it says command, not rule. Yeah, whatever. Uh, 
So then he's like, no thanks on the whole being made Lord of Winterfell thing. I'll pass. Even though, like, he's Lord Commander now, so how is that offer still there? But whatever, Stan is going to tag Winterhell. He's going to fuck off. And he suggests to John that he just kill all the wildlings just to get them out of there. And Which is weird because we're pretty sure there's, like, five of them. Yeah, well, when they burned Mance, there was, like, five. And there was Beardy and there was just, like, some other... They're just spares from Iceland. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> then Davos tells John he has no friends. Yeah, he decides to remind him that he's a loser again. <laughs> And oh, and then he says that he should join Stan because he has no friends. John was just made Lord Commander, and does he really not understand what the Night's Watch is about here? Yeah, like like the, if the Night's Watch just like leaves the wall and goes off and fights places, like first of all, that's like illegal, and second of all, like do you not get what it's there for? It's like a wall, and they need to be there to defend the wall. And he wall. was just made Lord Commander. Why would he be like, well, I have no? Obviously, at least half the people like him. So yeah. He exactly has half plus one, actually. So whatever. It's a uh, you know you know what plot point I really loved from the books is when John chops off Slint's head. So let's tick that off in the next. Oh scene. yeah, like that that whole thing where Slint is constantly undermining his authority and he's been opposed to him uh, all along, and he kind of sort of has a grudge against him because he was involved in Ned's death, but he's really trying very hard not to let that affect his judgment. But then, like you know, he gives him a, a chance to contribute and like you know feel more independent, but also kind of be away from him. So then he gives he gives him a chance to to go to Greyguard and Slint just says no right to his face. So he gives him a night to think it over and then he still says no. So then he considers the best thing to do and he has this very long interior monologue about what he has to do. And in the end, he decides that what he has to do is be just like his father and execute it himself. Right. So we got that to a T on our screen. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't at all just one scene where Slint didn't, he, I think Slint called him a bastard and said he didn't want to go to Greywatch Gregard. Yeah, but it all happens within the space of, like, five minutes real time. Yeah, seriously. It, it's just, John gives him the offer in front of everyone, Slint says no, and then John says, Ollie, bring me my sword. Yeah. And it's kind of mean. It really just seems mean. It does seem very mean. Like, just, it, it seems so, like, summary, you know? <laughs> yeah, but Stannis liked it. Yeah, Stannis nodded. They he nodded. They, they had that check mark. the Stannis nod. Yeah. The next episode opens where... Celine, Celise is like looking at John and talking about how John's such a healthy bastard and she can't even give <laughs> Stannis a proper heir because Shireen's awful and terrible and smells bad. And then Mel just pops in and she's like, but did you know that she has king's blood? <laughs> like, it's, it's basically more or less what she said. Like, yeah, and then- it, it was that subtle. And then at some point, for some reason, Stan asks, what do you want, my lady? Because, you know, yeah. he doesn't know. And this whole Azora High thing wasn't ever mentioned. And she goes, yeah, I want to... it was in the second season. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's, of course he would know what she wants. And she yeah. wa- and she says, I want to serve my lord. And then the camera just swoops onto John. <laughs> it's so subtle, guys. It's a, just bludgeon us over the head with a goddamn ham- hammer here. Anyway, so then Sam and John are doing some paperwork, and this whole thing just basically kills any chance that we'll get a, th- a climax like Dance with Dragons, because he's just like casually chooses the watch over any kind of remaining attachment to his family. Yeah, the, the whole thing where he he signs, he he asks the Boltons for help and plays nice with yeah. him, and, that, and that's what John struggled with during his entire arc. Anyway, Mel comes in and sits on his cock. Yeah, it's a sexual predator, and then. 
hops off and says, you know nothing, John. Like, okay, whatever. We, well, get- we can talk about what she's talking about, but it's completely meaningless and makes no sense anyway. So let's she, just She on. tries to convince him to go with Stan. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she doesn't know what the White Watch is for either. Okay. Yeah, move on to the emotional ma- manipulation scene. Uh, yep. And so then Shireen randomly walks into Stan's office and they bond. It's actually kind of cute because Shireen, the book snob, is like, I'm bored. We're all... <laughs> I know! <laughs> so are we. I mean, like, if we sound a little unenthused about this plotline, it's because we are. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, they bond, and those evil pornish tried to kill her, and she wouldn't yeah. have any of it. Whatever, this is just emotional manipulation, so we yeah, like we have more to We have more to say about it, I think. Yeah, obviously. It's um, also kind of meaningless. Like, he loves her, apparently, and they hug. <sighs> then, meanwhile, <laughs> Sam and Amon just got mail from Marine, because that's a thing. <laughs> Yeah, and apparently uh, Deadpan is uh, under siege from without, which we've which never heard Which is amazing, because okay. she wasn't. No, we, we have this theory that somebody is sending them misinformation. So, Amon mentions that a lonely Targaryen is a terrible thing, but that's also, Just I think, funny. like, the last time he mentions being a Targ, so... Yeah. Um, is this what and John saunters in and asks him for advice, too? Yeah. He's like, excuse me, Sam. And then he's just like, "I well, I have this thing that I want to do, but nobody will like it. And Eamon is like, well, fuck him. Do it anyway. Kill the boy and do whatever the yeah. shit you want. <laughs> that, that's exactly what he meant by kill the boy. I think I think that was a direct quote, in fact. Yeah. So the thing that apparently John wants to do that they won't like is he wants to go meet with Beardy mm-hmm. and convince him to bring all the wildlings on the south of the wall because he knows that, you know, there's an army of dead coming and yeah. warm. But the, the good news is that Beardy too. has his entire arc during the course of the scene. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, Beardy reveals that all of the wildlings are now uh, at hard on, and why not? And he knows this, and they're all together, all every single one of them. Every single one. It and makes sense. He knows exactly where they are, and yeah. then he says, "They'll kind of listen to me, but I really need you to come with me too." Yeah. We don't know and why. John is like, "Okay." Yeah. <laughs> That sounds fine and cardboardy to me. And yeah. literally, this is the only dilemma. Every single wildling is there, so of course he's going to go. Yeah. He tells the the brothers of the Night's Watch, and they're like rabbling, like a South Park. <laughs> rabble, 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 rabble. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> he's just like, ice zombies. Rabble, rabble. There are zombies. Rabble, rabble, rabble. They're not convinced. They don't. No one gives a shit about the zombies. <laughs> no. They're just like, but we're racist. And Ollie's like shaking his head. I can't believe what I'm hearing. <laughs> Yeah, but but like they're well, like Ollie is like legitimately probably completely traumatized by the whole thing. Oh yeah, so, we were thinking about this actually. He probably like has PTSD every time he looks at Beardy, so yeah. it's no joke. Like he's he legitimately struggled with it. Also, he's a ten year old ish, so his his grasp of the situation is gonna be a little different than say these grown ass men who are just yeah. rabbling. Yeah, but Johnny tries to explain to Ollie about the ice zombies and how. If they die, they'll turn into like zombie zombies, and that's bad. But Johnny, but yeah, Ali is clearly just like he's just sad. He's sad. He's very. But Dolores Ed was like all on board with it. He's like, I'll go with you. Yeah, oh, but Dolores no, Ed. but he says I'll go with you, but racism. I'll go with you, but I'm a little racist. Yeah, I was only I'm really slightly racist. <laughs> At least he didn't participate in the, whatever. Um, <sighs> what what's the night? Sam Sam and Gilly are just like chilling in the library like they do. Yeah, and Sam is just like, I wanted to be a maester. 
right. Which yeah. is true. He conveniently mentions, like, Randall Rape Apologist Tarly's reaction to it, but okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not like that would completely traumatize him or anything, so it's not important. Yeah, and then Sam pops in so we can get more exposition. Stan pops in. Yes, that's what I said. Yes, he said Sam pops in. Oh, yeah. Sam's just talking to himself. He might as well be. Yeah. But then, like, yeah, so Stan comes in and then they have more exposition. They have more exposition about Randall Rape Apologist Tarly and how he's, uh, he once beat Robert in a battle and how, uh, he's like, you know, he has this reputation as a great soldier. Hey, guys, here's a hint. If they're providing exposition on something, we're gonna get it. Yeah. I wonder if he'll be a rape apologist. They probably didn't even understand that part. They probably think it was fair. Yeah. You know what? You know what? There are those people that would be like, Randall was just being pragmatic. He punishes yeah. rapists. He's not a rape apologist. Yeah. He, he was just telling her to be safe. He was just concerned. Yeah. Obviously, a woman is asking for it. If she's walking around in a war zone. <sighs> Okay, and then then they talk they talk about Dragonglass too, right? Yeah, even though that goes absolutely nowhere. Okay, it really does. Then Stan's just like Davos, we're leaving. Davos is like, um, now, don't you like want the wildlings on your side and shit, or some and northern like, lords? And now yeah, we're leaving. No, we're leaving now. <laughs> so yeah, Team Stannis, they they fuck off. And then Team Cardboard t- fucks off to hard off. And who did they who did they take uh with them? Beauty. No, who, who does Team Stannis take? Oh, Team Stannis. Yeah, let's talk about that. T- Stannis decides it would be really fun to take his entire family to war. And yeah. even, I forget who mentions it. I think it's Davos. He's like, can we not do this? Yeah. And Stannis is like, no, the wall's not safe for them. Question mark, question mark. Yeah. So. And he takes Mel too, which is kind of important. Yeah, he does. Which is also not canonical. Yeah. And then also, uh, Team Cardboard is off. They're going to Hard On. Yeah, they're going to Hard On. Beardy, We didn't dramatic- explain that fandom name, but it's pretty obvious, so we won't. Yeah. <laughs> Beardy has his chains dramatically removed in front of everyone, because, you know, yeah. if they're pissed off Including about it, it that's clearly the way triggered to do it. Ollie. We get four reaction shots. Um, four reaction shots, guys. And then Sam packed Cardboard, like, a bagged lunch of dragon glass. He, like, hands yeah. it to him in a little baggie. I think there's a note <laughs> in it. It's like, I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> Why he's not going is beyond me. He's killed a fed and a white walker. Yeah, he would have been an asset. Okay, and then Thorne is super disappointed with Johnny. And I think he's put in charge of the wall. Yeah, well, he would, he's the first ranger, right? So he yeah, he be. has to be. Then then, the, wouldn't the first ranger be going on the ranging? But whatever. <laughs> it's divorced of logic, Jon Snow. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Aemon dies, right? Yeah, he just kind of... He's like twitching and having seizures yeah, and well first he kind of uh he um talks about the incredible shrinking maybe a little bit right yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another fandom name baby john baby sam gilly's baby is God. the incredible shrinking baby it's actually not shrinking it's just still a baby when everyone else is <laughs> aging by like three or yeah. four years um <laughs> so yeah that so one, he that one amuses us we wrote in our in our in our notes that he dies having book dialogue seizures <laughs> It's really, because he's just like, egg, I remember the summer, and we're like, what the fuck's going on? He doesn't mention anything about, like, Danny, the mm-hmm. last time, nothing. No, like, hey, Sam, if you ever go to the Citadel, mention us. No. It's, like, a little important. Then at his funeral, Thorne tells Sam he has no friends. Like, what is this theme? This is Friday. Yeah. Switching it up. And there are these two 
randos. Like, we have never seen these men before. And they're just, yeah. like, have this poop face on. And they're just, like, glaring at Sam, like, you asshole. <laughs> and Thorns all, see, you have no friends. And then the very next scene, those two same randos try to rape Gilly. Yeah. Um. But don't worry. Sam will save her. And He's killed a White Walker and a Then He actually just gets punched in the face, like, a whole lot. And then... Don't worry! Ghost will save him! <laughs> and then Ghost just shows up. He's like, can we not? Why am I not in This is the only on? time Ghost shows up in the whole season. BTW. Why is Ghost not in heart with John? What is going on? Uh, he we think fit on boats. We think he's, like, Sam's pet now. We're not yeah. <laughs> sure. I, know, I, I think, like, there's another scene where he's kind of, like, in the corner eating. And then there's a scene, and that's the only time Ghost is in the entire season. Oh, poor Ghosts. It's almost like you're important. Anyway, then then Gilly uh, decides to reward Sam, her savior, by fucking him because that's yeah, because normal that's behavior. normal behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> Whatever. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, we will later. Um, and then Gilly tenses, ruins the next scene, and is is like, "Don't worry about me. Just let me get raped next time." Yeah, because that's normal behavior. Well, well, actually, yeah, we'll, yeah we'll that's actually this. kind of sort of in character, but that's okay. And then Ollie comes in and he decides to have the exact same conversation that he had with John in episode four, but this time it's with Sam. Yeah, yeah. And Sam, Sam literally tells him a line that that's like, um, sometimes you have to do something that looks bad to others, but you know it's the right thing to do. And yeah, Ollie gets this pensive look on his face so we wonder if he's going to do something that looks fantastic <laughs> i don't know kylie it's really subtle are you sure i'm sorry we like seriously this is just soul sucking this is the worst part. i know if you if you didn't watch like if you didn't watch the season when it was being broadcast people called the ides of ollie before the season was even airing like it was just so obvious Anyway, here's the point of the season now. It's hard on! Yay! It's hard on! So we open with, like, really weird imagery of John crossing the Delaware, and he's, he's seriously, like, he's got his, like, foot up on the bow of the boat. It's like, you know, all of my life I have searched for land. Like, it's really freaking weird. Yeah. He just needed that, like, three-cornered hat. Yeah. And then um, they dismount, and the Lord of Bones comes up, and he, like, implies that Beardy and John have been hooking up. So then Beardy freaks the fuck out and just bashes him until he's dead over and over and everyone's just staring okay okay we get it no homo they have like all these long shots it's really weird <laughs> it's really I mean, they obviously put a lot of effort into that sequence it was really weird <laughs> <laughs> the best part was the reaction shots because everyone was like jesus this is not necessary <laughs> that's some internalized homophobia you got there beardy yeah. All then right, we go into we go into like the barn or whatever the meeting hall is. I don't know, and we, that's where we meet Smurfette. We meet Smurfette, and she ever. Uh, I don't even know how to describe this conversation because it's they say just, fuck a lot. They say fuck a lot. It's just everyone going fuck this, fuck that. The one random fen is all. I don't trust the watch, and then the wildlings are finally like, oh, oh, Beardy at one point says cardboard didn't need to come here. <laughs> we know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then the conclusion that Smurfette and we think a lot of the other wildlings come to is that, like, I don't trust Cardboard, but I trust Tormund, so I'm yeah. going to go with him. So, yeah, Cardboard really had to be there. Yeah, totally. Um, But it's okay, because Cardboard, like, mentions that children exist, and Smurfette is like, oh, I have children. I have children. <laughs> this is nice. Yeah, this applies to me. Oh, oh my gosh. Then John shows them the daggers, and he mm-hmm. just dumps it off in, like, this 
dark corner of the meeting hall, and he's all, if you join me, you can have these, but then just forgets about them and leaves them there. Yeah. So they're like, I don't know, they go to pack people up, and it's... It's my fattest two days from retirement. <laughs> and, like, credit where credit is due, even though it's very serendipitous that the White Walkers just happen to show up here, it's, it is it is cool. The calm before yeah. the storm is legitimately cool here. It's, it's nice and creepy. There's there's a that weird snow event, they shut the gate, and all the feetsies of the wildlings that were shot out of it just, like, vanish. And then what happens? Then the attack starts, because it starts with uh, the Fen trying to peek out and be like, anyone here? <laughs> and there are a lot of people there, and they are all the, they're the parts of the Caribbean zombies. Yeah, they're like instantly zombified, because there was like a whole, like there were more people outside the walls, like you can see when like we had an establishing shot. There's like the people inside the walls of Hardhome, and then there's a shit ton of people kind of outside of the walls. Yeah, they're all wildlings, they're all perfectly living, but then they're instantly turned into these spooky skeletons yeah from jason and the argonauts like and i don't even know how to describe this because everything is just shaky cam yeah it it gets kind of nauseating actually yeah they do a good job showing the frantic rush to the boats like Mm -hmm. that that is well done but it's really just shaky cam the zombies make these like clacking noises that are weird (laughs) and then no one is fighting with fire even though that is the one thing you do yeah the one person the one person who fights with fire is one one but one one is awesome. He's a gift from the gods. Yeah, and also Smurfette is awesome. Yes, she is. Um, because she like she puts her kids in the boat. And she's like, I'm right behind you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then she actually conv- she she yells at Johnny, and she's like, Yo, mm-hmm. dude, get get on those boats too, because if you're not there, no one's gonna let us through. And she's kind of right, but he's kind of heroic. So yeah, he's all like protective paternalism, and he rushes off. Yeah. Um, and she's great. She slays until, of course, uh, she sees some zombie kids. They're so cute. So she doesn't even defend herself. No. Um, then the White Walkers arrive. It's the four horsemen on the hill, uh, yep. aesthetic, I guess. And they're in these awesome samurai suits. <laughs> like, what? They, they, they put on their clothes. And, uh, John then remembers, oh, you know what? That dragon glass would have been a really good idea. So he runs back into the shed to go get them. And a, a White Walker comes in the other door, like, just saunters in as if he's like, hey, neighbor, can I borrow some sugar? I think that guy is really cool. I, like, that, that whole scene, that's kind of my, my favorite part of the battle where he walks in and, like, it's the sound effects the music cool. is kind of cool. And, and the fires kind of go out around him. I thought that was cool. It's cool. It's just, but really, the look on his face, I don't know what it is. I think they just made him too expressive of a White Walker. Okay. Because, like, when John's sword it's stops. It's like kind of uncanny valley. Sto- yeah. Yeah. When John Sword stops his sword, he like gets this look on his face like, "What? <laughs> like, you're you're a White Walker, dude." Oh yeah, spoiler: Valyrian steel stops ice zombie weapons yeah. and kills them. John kills yes. them with his Valyrian steel, which is yeah, that's like legit spoiler. And it's probably it's probably an actual canonical detail, but it's not, it hasn't been yeah, it's, it's, yet, it's something that's been suspected for a while. Yeah. Um, John and Sam kind of mentioned it at one point that it's a possibility because it's some stuff that sam found in the old texts yeah in in that in that fight sequence john is like really 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 badly injured yeah, he's coughing up blood and the sound effects again are pretty cool like injury sound effects but mm-hmm. then suddenly the night king is like you know what i should do is now actually send all my zombies down there like i didn't do this before but now is a good idea time so he, he kind of like throws all these corpses over the 
Cliff. Thing. Hard home is not well situated. It's not a very good defensive position. Oh my god, it's worse because <laughs> their enemies can seriously come to the top and chuck things down at them, which is yeah. what happens. So then, like all the bodies reform, so suddenly John can sprint like an Olympian, mm-hmm. and they like all fuck off. And there's one boat conveniently waiting for like the th- three guys we can recognize there. Yeah, and they all make it, and Juan Juan just kind of walks. Oh. Where did all the people scrambling for boats go? Did they get them all aboard? Like, they're, they're very efficient kind of ferrying system. Well, that's that's the thing, because we see people throwing each other out of boats, and you're telling mm-hmm. me there's one boat left? Yeah. But whatever. Then Night King, Darth Maul, Shogun, whatever. He's <laughs> He of many they names. They kind of look like samurai. They do. <laughs> he walks out to the very end of the wharf, and he kind of, like, does the kawaii shruggy thing. And he raises the uh, army of the dead. And... Yeah. And it somehow makes them, like, not scare anymore. Yeah. They they just have a stare-off. And then the episode ends with silence. And then in the next episode, the, the whoever the, whoever directed that episode decided it would be really cool if they could riff on Schindler's List. Which, they're so not worthy of this. This is so <sighs> offensive to me. There's also this ridiculous dramatic moment. They somehow end up north of the wall, leaving Hardhome. So yeah. figure that one out. Um, D&D Let's- logic. Yeah, let's uh, land the boat somewhere north of the wall. And, then... and it was just complete unnecessary. Castle Black is in the middle of Westeros. Like, like there's a little isthmus there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like 100 leagues wide, so 300 miles long. So they've walked from the coast 150 miles to get to Castle Black. Apparently. That's the only way they could have gotten there. Well, so, Smurfettes, yeah. Smurfettes kids were really good walkers. Yeah, mini Smurfettes. They're, they're cute. They're, it, it's yeah. actually cute. There's one point where Beardy, like, puts his hand on one of their heads. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. But no, it's just unnecessary drama. Like, will Thorne let them in? The answer is yes, he will let them in. Why? We yeah. don't know. Whatever. Uh. Then Sam riffs on Schindler's list. Oh, don't even. Yeah, well, Johnny, Johnny Cardboard is really upset that he couldn't, like, save the whole world. And uh, Sam is like, but, like, you know, I've read my Talmud, buddy, and I know that he who saves one life saves a life entire. So. It's. I mean, if you're going to steal, steal from the best, I guess, but this is just tone deaf in his delivery. Oh, Ollie's there, and he's, like, mad. He's he's glaring at everyone. And John is sad. And a bunch of people are like, whoa, 1-1 is weird. Yeah, he's large. That's all that happened that episode. (laughs) Then we go into the final episode, Mother's Mercy, (laughs) nominated for Best Writing, (laughs) and won. Yeah, now it's up for a Writer's Guild of America award. Oh, my God. I don't even... (laughs) Anymore. So, so um, the sparkling writing is really on display in the scene between John and Sam. Okay, I, I will summarize it. Dude, Harmon was intense. Yeah, I got laid, brah. Oh my god, brah, you got laid. I really want to go to, like, college, brah. That's awesome. This is a great time for you to, like, go on a trip to college. But, like, I need to protect my woman, bro. Yeah, no, they're just seriously browing out. They're they're giggling about Sam's sex. Please. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. And who thinks... John just got finished telling him the entire army of the dead raised up. So you know what mm-hmm. you can do? Go take the accelerated maester courses? What? <laughs> yeah, he probably has a lot of, like, uh, AP credits, though. So, seriously, Sam frames it as protecting Gilly. Yeah. So they fuck off. Then a while Davos appears again. He was, like, doing some shit down in Winterhell. Uh, and apparently he still doesn't know the purpose of the Night's Watch. He was the one who made Ollie recite the vows because he knew about it, but whatever. Okay. Yeah. But he's just like, oh my gosh, you have to go save Stannis. And John is like, no. 
<laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, uh, that's literally not what we're, especially now that I've just seen the Army of the Dead. Yeah. So good thing he didn't get sent like a, a pink letter or something that would have made him question That, that would have just messied up the whole situation. And but then Mel randomly appears on Shadowfax. The fastest horse ever. And yeah. she just, she does not look good. She looks as if she just needs some cuddles and a warm bath. Mm-hmm. She's had a rough day. Well, like, the speed that horse must have been running. Like, she probably mm-hmm. has some kind of really weird G-forces going on in her brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, you need to, I'm sorry, you need to take the next one. All right, so that Johnny is doing some paperwork because his secretary fucked off to go to college. <laughs> and then uh, Ollie comes running in and he's like, oh my god, Johnny, they've totally found your Uncle Benjamin. And then so he comes running out. He doesn't even put his coat on. He goes running out and Thorne is there. And Thorne's like, yeah, they totally found your Uncle Benjamin. Then he's right over there next to that brooding group of men who have their backs turned to you. And and a plank of wood. But like, we know because we screen capped it and lightened it up that it says traitor. But you literally could not see what it says on because everything also, is so dark. It's still not clear on how he's a traitor, but whatever. Yeah, let's, let's not go into that. But then, then like they start stabbing him. And the stark cello of extreme emotional significance plays. And the last person to come, the crowd parts. Yeah. And Ollie walks through going, you know, I'll take the ring to Mordor. <laughs> and John looks up at him, pleads, and goes, Ollie. And then and Ollie it, finishes yeah. him off, and jo- those were John's la- that was John's last word. Yeah. And then he's dead, and the season is over. So that was the plot line. <laughs> Yay! Oh, oh my, it's just such a slog. It's such a slog fest. And we're sorry we took time to do the detail, but as we analyze it, you're gonna, we're gonna be referencing all these scenes, so. Yeah. There's a logic to what we do. Um. I was just like, what, when we came to like, one of these scenes when we were watching the show, it was just like, God, it's a wall scene. That's when like, you know, it's Sunday night, so you start thinking about like, did I pack lunches for everyone for tomorrow? Yeah. I to me, it was just as bad as the winter hell scenes. I would groan <laughs> when I saw both of them come on. So that being said, what was your highlight? Um, well, continuing with my pattern with the, with the uh, highlights or a, a scene where I can project the book characters on, I think it was actually the scene with, Stam, with, with Sam and Stan bonding in the library. And they're talking about um, Randall Rape Apologist Harley and Dragon yeah. Glass and like history things because not because of anything they say, although like, you know, having actual world building details is nice, but because of uh, John Bradley's performance. Yeah, he's good. He's very good. Yeah. I wish they'd give him Sam's material. Yeah. Because he, he just looks so uncomfortable talking about his father and so kind of like just awkward that you're like, oh my God, that's Sam. Where have you been? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for these two characters to be interacting in this way, but in no. another way, Stannis is the kind of dude that would praise, yeah. like, he, I mean, he would respect a battle commander's son. Yeah, I mean, you know, Sam, Sam is the son of a high lord, so he and Stan are kind of, like, in the same social class. Yeah. Well, that's a great scene. Yeah, it, it was, I really, even that scene, I don't have much to say about it. It was just like, yeah, I could see Sam in the performance, like, yay, go. Anyway, yeah. your turn. <sighs> this is really... Hard for me to pick because I don't particularly have a highlight. I mean, in isolation, if you just, like, forget all context, there were some parts of Hard Home that were cool-ish. I mean, obviously, like, a lot of work went into it. The calm before the... Like, it was cool if I want to see a random smashy battle. 
kind I don't know if I can really call that a highlight because it was just more like I was appreciating what they did, but I wasn't actually caring. It's like it's like you watch the Star Wars prequels and you're just like, wow, somebody put a lot of work into that special <laughs> effect. Yeah, like every once in a while you'll be like, the pod racing doesn't look bad. Yeah, that like scene with the battle in Return of the Sith, that was fine. <laughs> revenge of the Sith. Revenge. I don't know. Who cares? They're revenging. Yeah. Um, right. The Sith Lords are at Winter Hell, remember? But <laughs> if, if I can't pick that scene, I might have, I don't know, like, Liana's letter for 10 seconds? Yeah, 10 seconds, we're just like, I remember, I, I read these books and it I was really this. good. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the first four seconds of Shireen and Stannis' conversation where she just wanders in and is like, I'm bored. And if, if it wasn't clear emotional manipulation, I could have liked it more. But, oh, and then yeah. they blamed Grayscale and the Dornish, so... <laughs> I, don't, I feel like we should kind of discuss why that scene isn't our highlight because everybody like ejaculates all over that scene. Why? I don't know. Like, cause, cause it just shows what a great relationship these two have or something. Oh, know. yeah. Well, I think a lot of stand stands really like that scene because this is real Sanus, but it, it was really just there to emotionally manipulate us into thinking he wasn't going to burn her. That's the only yeah. reason this scene exists. So then it would be more I shocking mean, like, what he does. All fiction is emotional manipulation, but this is cheap. You know, this is obviously trying to deceive us. Yeah, they're setting up a 180. That's what's yeah. happening. Um, and then, yeah, the pornish grayscale thing and, and the whole, I almost- <laughs> We don't you like off- insults against our people, okay? Yeah, also the whole, I was gonna send you to a leper colony across the world. Like, how does that even work? You're telling me that the response for highborn who who become infected with grayscale is to send them off to Valyria? Seriously? Like, none of it actually made sense. People just liked it because Steve Delane does a really good job. Yeah. And, and Kelly Ingram's great, too. They're, yeah, she's awesome. They're really good together. I wish they actually could have been playing their characters. I really, I want to be a fly on the wall for, like, all the deliberations they had to, like, what they did to Valyria. <laughs> How did that happen? Let's have a smoking sea that looks nothing like a sea. It's and a slightly it's misty smoking. river. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so lowlights. Well, you first. There's so many to choose from. This entire plotline. Just, oh, it's just a slog fest of shit. Uh, well, I'm going to go with the kind of amorphous idea of just every anytime they try to foreshadow something it's just grown worthy yeah when like like when shireen and it's it might have been gilly who's just like how long has your face been like that so that they can just yeah. start talking about grayscale and the whole thing with, with mel and the whole like shireen has king's blood and all of ollie's reaction shots like kylie made an entire blog of just collecting ollie's reaction <laughs> which the actor is aware of ollie nods at things i feel so bad because he doesn't do anything wrong like he's a no, fine actor he's, yeah he's, he's perfectly fine he's probably like does even better than Julia, with the material that most people would i just realized you know what fandom name we forgot about to even include in our retrospective was ollie chekhov yeah that's that, weird of us that was really weird because that's what we were calling him all season as it was airing but i think now that it happened it's too obvious yeah yeah okay um, but yeah all season we were calling him ollie Chekhov since the first episode because it was so obvious he was going to be the one to stab john yeah i mean it was obvious in the third season that like he was going to do something too you know like yeah, the whole thing was bad okay so if your thing is foreshadowing my thing is this narrative of toxic masculinity throughout the entire wall it features the most strongly i think it's it's the most obvious in sam's plot line mm-hmm. although i mean John's character development being swinging a sword is, you know. That doesn't help, I think. <laughs> no. But, 
Yeah, it's the whole thing that, you know, he's always bragging about his accomplishments. He doesn't have any trauma associated with uh, becoming a maester, and so he's, you know, very proactive about doing that so he can save his woman. And then, yeah, the almost rape. That was ridiculous. It why did no, that like, need to happen? And it, from an adaptational point of view, that just made no sense. Like, why is it there? And We'll and, talk uh, about this a little more later. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're definitely not done talking about it, but that that, that has to be my low light. I just, I just can't. All right, so yeah. let's let's talk about actual adaptation. <laughs> what they fucking do? Characters. We like talking about that stuff. Okay, so one of the big problems we had when we were writing our meta was trying to figure out who the protagonist was, because like obviously it's John, right? But like, what's his arc? <laughs> he doesn't have an arc. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't struggle with anything. Yeah. He's he's right about everything, but at least say Tyrion has arc, like has some yeah. sort of movement. John just is bland. He is a piece of cardboard that runs around and swings his sword. Yeah, he he just learns that his brothers are super racist and he can't change that. I guess. Yeah. He's too good for this cruel world. And they also mutinied after like a week of his leadership, so... <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, John's, you know, quote-unquote the protagonist, but he's a protagonist without any actual story. Mm-hmm. So then we were thinking, like, Sam could be the protagonist, right? Because he definitely has his own story, which is but all about... But it's his own story. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like it's it's not... It doesn't really have much to do with the Stan stuff and the hard home stuff and all the racist brother stuff. It's like, he, he has his own story, which is fine. And he's a protagonist of his own story. But it yeah. has nothing to do with, like, the main... It's totally disconnected. Yeah. And it's, a, which it's makes offensive, sense. too, because it's just all about him learning to be a man. Yeah, it, it makes sense, because, like, in the books, Sam is several thousand miles away from John, so they have two separate stories. But it doesn't but, make sense to have a character there having his own story and not actually, like, he's he's really, he gets John elected Lord Commander, I guess he's kind of intertwined, but yeah. it really, the fact that he was at the wall for this taking place is just happenstance, and it was just mm-hmm. very obvious they didn't want to do the old town set. And then they could have sent him to Bravos. They could have. They had a yeah. Bravos set. Um. So, like, where we're at is that we seriously consider Ollie the protagonist. He has an arc uh, at first. Like, you know, he's really John is his hero. He really looks up to him. He wants to be just like him when he grows up. And then his kind of idealization of his hero is slowly broken down. And he is dealing with his own drama. Yeah. Trauma. Sorry. Trauma. And his drama uh, too. I'm sure. He, yeah. He milks yeah. a it's worth. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and he really does make a hard decision based on what he thinks is the right thing to do because he saw his entire family get slaughtered. Even though, like, you know, values dissonance. We're not into the whole racism thing. But, like, no. Beardy is – he saw Beardy kill his father. Beardy is right there. No, we're explaining. We're not excusing. Yeah. And and even if though his actions are framed as bad, which they definitely are. The stabbing of John was definitely framed as bad. If nothing else, he's kind of a villain protagonist then. Yeah. Because he he actually has struggles that are connected to the main plot line. And a very tangible outcome. Yeah, like, the writing kind of doesn't notice that he's a protagonist, so it doesn't really write around him in any way. But, like, yeah. he's, like, he's the guy with the arc. Like, <laughs> he legitimately is. Um, the other big thing that we notice, and this is, you know, this is kind of like saying water is wet, <laughs> is, is that this entire plotline was adapted around hard home, hard on. Mm-hmm. That was that was kind of like you know the the walk of shame of this plotline. Like, that's the thing they had to have, and, and they built the entire plotline around it. Just like the walk of the shame, walk of shame. Like nothing was earned to actually set mm-hmm. this up. Every negotiation made no sense. John's conversation with Beardy wasn't a conversation. The conversation with the wildlings at the beginning wasn't a conversation. 
Yeah. And, like, by the way, even if the Wildlings had been like, fuck off, John, we're not coming with you, as soon as the White Walkers attacked, they'd be getting on those boats. So, yeah. like, nothing needed to happen. Um, Mance was, like, conveniently expelled from the plot. <laughs> he was just jettisoned. Yeah, it's, well, it's not like that character ever does anything else, so it's fine. Yeah, because they just wanted all, the entire focus to be on the battle. John had to go because I guess he had to go. Yep. And it fucking worked, those assholes. It fucking works. <sighs> yeah, they can do no wrong. Again. They jiggled the keys in front of everyone's face. I like. I, <sighs> now, if you see the the ratings graph, it like goes below season four numbers after season, after episode six, it but then up. it shot up at hard home, just like way up into the stratosphere, and you're just like, what the fuck is going on? And it, and it stayed high for the rest of the season. Yeah. Although I don't know anyone who is a fan of the last episode. <laughs> really? Well, the Emmy voters are apparently. The Emmy voters, I think, didn't. They, first of all, they didn't have to watch any of the shows they voted for, and second of all, I think they just hadn't heard of the other shows. <laughs> and there was like vote splitting between Mad Men, whatever. We can yeah. get in. And they changed the whole voting system for the. It's Emmy. almost as if the media industry is surrounded around. Yeah. Okay. We we don't need to touch that. But like, if everything's adapted around Hard Home, but then let's talk about Hard Home itself. Yeah. Because again, it was a shaky cam battle, right? Yeah. Which is f- fine if... I'm a little didn't... sick of shaking hand paddles. I think we, we, we said a couple of weeks ago that, like, in 50 years, the the 2010s are going to be, like, known as the shaky cam era. It's going to be bad. What were we thinking? Why did we want to watch this? It'll, um, it'll just date absolutely everything. I think so, for sure. Uh, there was also Smurfette, which was the most ridiculous thing. I, I, I feel like it's just... You know, Do we want to go into that about, about her development? How she was supposed to be a man. Yeah, but and then, then they decided that since she has kids, she has to be a woman. Right, because she's going to get killed off by zombie children. So it has to be a mother who gets killed off by zombie children for it to be emotionally significant. Because men don't care about their kids, I guess. Yeah, and what really pisses me off about Carsey, too, is that a lot of people look at her and they're like, see, Game of Thrones gives us these awesome, strong women. It's like, no, dude. Hey, she was only put in there to die. And <laughs> she was only made a woman because they're sexist. <laughs> So, I hope all the fathers in the universe were super offended by that. All right. I really hope so. Um, what else so, at Hard Home? The fucking White Walkers with their samurai outfits. Why? I, I think they Why samurai? I don't really have a problem with the character designs for the White Walkers, but... I, I just know. think they're not that scary anymore. Um, not anymore, but that has nothing to do with their initial character design. Okay, it's because they keep showing it to us, and it's because the... Yeah. Uh, the Darth Maul guy is kind of hot. <laughs> the Shogun? The Shogun. He's, well, what can I say? I'm attracted to power. Um, and, like, versus the others? Yeah. The others who are always kind of there in the shadows. Like, like you know, a lot of characters kind of express the feeling that, you know, they know that the others are always there watching them, but they never see them. Yeah. And the others also, you know, there's there's legends surrounding the others of, you know, the like, Night's King legend is about, like, a guy becoming an other or fucking another or whatever it is. Yeah. He has, like, half other children and he sacrifices to the others. And, yeah. It's it's really creepy. It's creepy and interesting and, and mysterious. I don't know. And all the mystery of the others is is just, or the White Walkers on the show is just gone now. And you know, it's it it, it used to be good. I think like back in season three when that other came and attacked Gilly and Sam, that was awesome. And mm-hmm. you know, now I can appreciate like what you were talking about with the sound going out and the fires going out in Hard Home with the one other that wanders in. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't scare me. It doesn't really do anything. 
for me. It was kind of like I was watching it saying that that was a cool idea of theirs. Yeah. Like I would have given them a good grade on their media project. (laughs) (laughs) B plus. Very. You tried. Um, Let's talk about how the fact that we got hard on made uh, made it so that we lost something called hard home. Because that's unfortunate in my opinion. Again, it's the creepiness. And, you know, the whole thing with Game of Thrones is that they want to focus on the real stakes, right? But (laughs) hard home... Which is why they called it Game of Thrones. Don't get me started. But hard home in the books, it's again, it's just this sort of growing dread creepiness. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard home itself is, uh, actually, you, you do the history lesson. You're the teacher. <laughs> well, hard home is a settlement north of the wall that about like a thousand years before our story starts, uh, was growing and it became a, you know, a semi-important trading port where people would come over the world and get like fur and amber or whatever stuff they have north of the wall. And it was, it was well on its way to become like an actual town, the only actual town north of the wall. But then something happens and nobody knows what. But apparently it was so bad that they can see like the ashes and the smoke from the wall, which is several hundred miles away. And after that, Hardhome was like this cursed place that everyone avoided. And, you know, the wild things won't go in the, near there. Yeah, I think of it as haunted in a way. Yeah. And there's these stories about, like, you know, these screaming caves or whatever the wind comes in from the sea. It sounds like somebody is screaming. And just, it's just, like, culturally to the wildlings and to, like, probably even the people of the north. It's just this this horrible haunted place that has this history. Like, like you know, you go there and you know that something horrible happened there. And right. it just makes you culture, like, you know, within your soul, it makes you very uncomfortable even to be there. So what happens is that there's a faction of the wildlings. The wildlings mm-hmm. are not united. After Mance dies, there's three main factions yeah. that one is led by Tormund. And these are all north of the wall, by the way. One is yeah. led by Tormund. One is led by the Weeper, who's just kind of this, like, jackass that kills a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, there's all these scattered little... Yeah, apparently there was one group that went back to the Valley of the Thens and things yeah. like that. And some people are trying to return to their villages. And then, right. And then the third major group is the group that goes to Hardhome. They follow this lady called Mother Mole. And she she's a wood switch. She sees a vision that if they go there, they'll be saved. And um, it's basically a suicide pact. It's, it's like they join a cult is kind of what it seems yeah, like. They have no food. Like, yeah, they're they're eating dead bodies there. Apparently, we learned. Yeah, it's things things are worse in hard home than they seem. No, um, <laughs> sorry. So, but then uh, Johnny decides. Oh, John, sorry, the real John. John decides that he is going to save them because basically for the same reasons that Johnny Cardboard wants to save them. Like this, yeah. this they kind of got right that he wants to save the most lives uh, that he can because if well, first of all, because he's not an asshole, and second of all, because. Every dead body is another soldier in the army of the dead, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, both both cardboard and John have big picture stuff in mind. They they, yeah. they both they both have that. It's just for cardboard, it's really simplified. It's it's like literally, there's nothing else going on, and every single wildling is right here. So what do you want to yeah. do? <laughs> John has other shit, but John sends uh, I think some of the Iron Bank ships and all of his ships to go rescue them. Yeah, and it's. It's kind of desperate. It's supposed to be desperate. Yeah, and it's a complete disaster. Oh, absolutely. He he puts Cotter Pike in charge of it. We get this frantic letter back from Cotter Pike being like, things are really bad here. Uh, they're eating their own dead. There's a... Dead things uh, in the water, dead things in the uh, woods. Is yeah. that the line? Yeah, but it's really... A creepy. lot of the it's ships really get lost wedding. on the way yeah. over to storms. 
Yeah, and um, sometime before there was uh, some slavers from Lice who showed up and took a bunch of people. Like said, like, "Oh, we'll save you." And but then as soon as they're out to sea, they put them in chains and basically, like, you know, force them into slavery. Yeah. So the wildlings that there are a little suspicious now. They're really distrustful, and they're also yeah. just slowly getting picked off by the others. It, it's... Yeah, the others are. You know, they're there. Everyone can feel that they're there, and they're picking them off, but nobody sees them. It's like creepy as shit, and it's a disaster yeah. for John. A PR disaster. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. They like. Oh, you know, we get this cool battle, but it comes at the cost of a kind of important leadership decision mm-hmm. in John's part. You know, the other things that didn't get to that, like, adapted were the other things that John yeah. had to deal with as Lord Commander. And, um, we kind of, we kind of say there's three major ones, and, and one of the first ones is very related to Hardhome. Yeah. Um, and that's, he treated with the wildlings. Like, yeah, there are these three major factions, and, one of them, he actually he he sends somebody to seek torment out, and like they they negotiate, they have a, they have a treaty. Like we will let you north of the wall, or we will let you south of the wall in exchange for these concessions. And what was actually kind of cool about that is th- we don't know what exactly what the concessions were. We don't know those details. But the conversation, Martin says something like neither one was happy with it. Yeah. Well, we so, know that uh, they're forced to give a hundred hostages, a hundred boys as hostages. Yeah. They have to give up all their valuables, mm-hmm. and um. I don't, there's no, like, bending knee stipulation, is there? I don't think so. No. No. Oh, you know what? I'm conflating his negotiations with Tycho. I'm sorry. But either way, John John sits and he treats with Tormund, and he yeah. brings them to the table. Uh, it's actually very tense on the day that they all pass through the wall, but the wildlings, like, keep their heads down. Because yeah, very... they're, like, really cold and hungry, and they just want they want this horrible ordeal they've been through to be over. Yeah, so, so not only does he come to that agreement, but then he actually builds relationships with the wildlings. Mm-hmm. You know, he sends a bunch of spearwives to go man one of the towers. Like he, yeah, he, he gives most of like the important wildling uh, chiefs like their own castle to command. He makes them part of the, the system that he's creating because like the, the watch is severely undermanned. So they, they enlist some of Stannis' men to help them defend the wall. They enlist some of those wildlings and, you know, they make, they make the wildlings kind of feel like they're part of the system. Like they're all in yeah. it together. Oh, and he lets wildlings take the oath who wants to. So mm-hmm. um, there's this one wildling, Leathers, who's a very good fighter, and John ends up making him master of arms after he yeah. takes his oath. So the whole thing is that he's that he really does incorporate the wildlings into his leadership, and that's huge. Yeah, and there's some pushback from his brothers, but they kind of everyone kind of sees the necessity. Like the alternative yeah. is just to let them all die north of the wall, and like they, and then they join kind the of dead. Yeah, like a lot of them don't like it, but they kind of see. I mean, there are some that are like, maybe you should just let them die because I don't see how we can feed everyone and all yeah. that. But, you know, they they get it on some level. And that actually leads into the other ne- major negotiation that John does, which is with the Iron Bank. Um, yeah. They send Tycho Nestoros, who's this, like, you know, representative he's in the show. of the bank. Yeah, he's in the show. He's in Bravos, though. He comes to Westeros to treat yeah. with Stannis because the Lannisters are defaulting. Yeah. And so he kind of wants to back a king that might actually pay him. Yeah. And John kind of the Iron Bank's way. And John actually pulls him aside yeah. on his own and doesn't tell anyone about this. Yeah, so none of his brothers know that the Night's Watch is now in massive amounts of debt because he's he he like he tells them, Oh, we're gonna pay for provisions for the winter with all the wildlings valuables. <laughs> but actually he's taken this massive loan from the Iron Bank and yeah. he has plans to like, you know, import food and import like glassmakers to make but to make greenhouses and things like that and how he's going to pay this off he has no idea but he's just like i had to do it yeah it's, he views it as a strict necessity and he's yeah. not really wrong it's just very he doesn't really 
tell you know, anyone. Like, do you know what you're getting yourself into here? It doesn't explain yeah. itself. Um, and then the third major, major thing that happens is, in in addition to, like, you know, Mel's warning him about Daggers in the Dark, he's learning all these things about his sister Arya being married to Ramsay and he's distressed. Mm-hmm. Like, in addition to all that, someone literally shows up at the wall, Alice Karstark, and yeah. she... She, uh... You is... want to explain very briefly who the Karstarks are and what's going on? Good luck. Yes, fine. It's, it's, it's a northern house. It's not It's not really that complicated. It's a northern house. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the major ones. Yeah. And the current lord, which is Alice Karstark's brother, is a prisoner. Yeah. he's He may or may not be dead. Yeah. we His fate's very uncertain. He's definitely not in a place to be, like, leading anything. <laughs> so Alice should, you know, it, it's it's... They women are allowed to inherit, obviously, but as a last um, resort, kind of as a last resort. So well, not really should... as a last resort. Like they come before their uncles, which is who wants to usurp her. So, so yeah, her uncle is like, you know what I'll do is I'll just marry her and then I'll have the power because that's, <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> that's how it works. So, they're not endured, unfortunately. And her uncle's not a good dude. No. Um, he, also, he's pro Bolton. He's like yay Boltons, but he's sworn to Stannis and yeah. he's planning on betraying him. Those Karstarks are the only major. Northern House that have <laughs> sworn to Stannis and they're, they're vacant. Poor Stannis. But he, he's uh, got all of the Highlander clan, so it's fine. Oh, God. So she comes to the wall and she's like, John, you have to help me. She she yeah. knew John because yeah, she had they, met him at Winterfell. Yeah. They, when they were kids, they met. Yeah, so she she didn't know where else to go. She doesn't want to get forced into this marriage. Like, she's terrified of this. And, um, yeah. That's, you know, she comes asking for his help, and it's very messy because the Night's Watch does not get involved. Yeah, and her, her uncle is, like, right behind her, and they end up taking him prisoner. Which... Yeah, and and John has, you know, very personal reasons for wanting to help her. A, because he knows her and likes her, and B, because he knows the Karstarks are pro-Bolton, and he doesn't want to help them. Yeah, because she so, tells him. She tells him about the whole thing. Yeah, yes. Um, and so he, what he wants Stannis, up... which turns out to be a little important later, too. So, so what ends up happening is that John establishes a new northern house by marrying her to the son of the former Magnar of then. So it's the Magnar of then. He yeah. creates house then, which is a house that's going to be south of the wall. Yeah, um, and it's going to take over a car, a car hold apparently because Jorik Sorius is a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, that's, again, it's... The whole thing with John is that he makes a lot of these decisions, like mm-hmm. a lot of these smaller decisions, and they all add up and they all paint a picture that causes his brothers to be anxious yeah but it's it's not yeah it's it's not just one thing it's the, his whole pattern of behavior and like it's like the the climax of the flatline is of course the ides of marsh as we call it because uh bowen marsh is kind of the main dude the main actor and it's actually a clever pun ides of Ollie just came out of necessity <laughs> well it is supposed to be uh analogous to the ides of marsh right yeah it is yeah and Basically, he receives this letter from uh, Ramsay Bolton, and it's kind of intertwined with a lot of other plot lines, so we won't go into detail about it. But um, he basically says, like, you know, I'm coming for you. Bolton says to John, I'm coming for you, bastard. And John is like, I have to react to this. And so I have he... to defend myself. Yeah, we, yeah. we kind of glossed over, but <laughs> Mance is also alive, and John sent him down there to save Arya. Whatever. Don't worry about it, guys. Yes, it's very complicated. But he, he basically says like to his brothers, you don't have to come with me, but what I'm doing is that I am going to involve myself in the politics of the North. And they're like, okay, last straw, and they kill him. Kind of. We think. Yeah. I, think I think that was like their just 
investigation. Yeah, but it's it's kind of like we don't really know what happened because it's kind of like it kind of, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's not like what one of those one eighty shocks that D and D love. But we don't like we don't know when it was planned. We don't know no, how, to what extent it was. We don't know to what extent it was premeditated. We don't know yeah, like to, you know. To me, it just kind of seems like thing. It, they probably talked about it. Then shit goes yeah. down the courtyard, and then Bowen stabs, and everyone's like, "Oh, now it's on." Yeah, it's on. yeah. All right, I guess it's now. Okay, but yeah, the, the the whole point is, it's not just they're xenophobic and didn't like the wildlings. It yeah. was, you know, people understood the necessity of that. It's just, it was this pattern over and over again, and it was especially that John's whole leadership is kind of based around Ned. And yeah. Ned's very stoic. I remove myself from my men. I don't really communicate. I'm just, you know, that very paternalistic um, yeah. style of leadership. <laughs> Julia and I love paternalism. It's our favorite. <laughs> but yet he he wants to do the most amount of good for the most amount of people. And, you know, he's not – he's very consciously, like, rejects any notion that the wildlings are somehow less worthy of his help than anybody else. It's almost like he parallels some of them. Maybe. <laughs> we won't get into it. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, he's very pragmatic. He's very yeah. utilitarian. Uh, and he does the thing when he, he isolates himself. He sends all his friends away. Like, he sends he sends Sam off to Old Town. Like, Sam doesn't want to go, but he's just like, you know, you're more useful as a maester. Go. And he sends, like, uh, his his buddies, Dolores Ed, to, like, other places, mm-hmm. other castles. And, and uh, Pip and Gren, he sends them away. And, like, it's really sad, too, because it's even right after he's elected, even before they're all sent away, they're, John, come meet with us. And he's like, well, I can't. I'm the Lord Commander now. So, like... Yeah. He emotionally isolates himself too. Yeah, but and like, on one hand, it kind of makes sense because he can trust these people, so he can trust them to command castles to do like very important tasks for him. But on the other hand, like he's trying to build, he's surrounding himself by these people that he knows don't agree with him. He's kind of like you know doing the Abraham Lincoln team of rivals kind of thing, uh, which on one hand is good because he knows that they'll give him honest advice, and even if. Like, they're not afraid to contradict him and tell him exactly what he thinks. But on the other hand, he's surrounding himself by people who don't necessarily support him, right? So... Yeah, so obviously it backfires. Yeah, but it, it, it's successful in some ways, and it backfires in other ways that he didn't expect, which is like real life or something. I don't know. I think it's hilarious that people act like this was all about him trying to break his vows, and, oh, they were so justified in killing him, and whatnot, which is so not the point, because all it is is about these building tensions, and it's about mm-hmm. these decisions, and it's about how he he wasn't communicating and but he was making these concessions to who he was and yeah but john like he has a lot of baggage yeah um he's still very much mourning for regret and he's he's still full of guilt for that whole thing and how you know he he was in a in a no-win situation there and you were wrong to love her you were wrong to leave her yes one of my favorite quotes in the series i think and um he's worrying about he's worried about aria because he's heard about jane Poole. But he doesn't know she's Jane Poole. He, he, he thinks, thinks it's Arya. Arya. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he thinks that you know, Arya is married to Ramsay Bolton and horrible things are being done to her. I'm sure he would give a shit about Jane Poole too. But, you know, he's... But he talks himself... That's a very compassionate person. Yeah. yeah. He talks himself out of doing anything about it because, you know, the Night's Watch takes no part and she's not really his sister anymore. He only has brothers. Well, he sends he sends a secret team there. Yeah. He sends... But, yeah. Well, when he has the opportunity to do something about it, kind of like on the DL, he does it. Secret team. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let's try not to talk about a better show. <laughs> and we're talking also, about the book plot line here. Yeah. And he's also um, kind of full of – because there's this thread running through his entire plot line in all five books. Just this kind of like feeling deep in his gut that he doesn't belong in Winterfell. And like one of the reasons why he rejects Stannis' offer is that he just like – 
no, it's wrong. I'm not meant to be the Lord of Winterfell. And also the whole, uh, Stannis wants him to forsake his gods. Yeah, that too. But like, that that's a thread that's been there since the Game of Thrones. That just, he, oh, he's totally. had, oh, yeah. he's had these dreams all his life where he's wandering, he's wandering around Winterfell, like looking for his people and his people aren't there. It might mean something. It's almost <laughs> as if like, I don't know, there might be some, something surrounding his parentage. That's <laughs> just Gosh. weird. Yeah. But yeah, this just, this this whole like, there's all the the oh Starks are all up in the feast fall, and he's down in the crypts. Julia, he knows he I'm getting into the them. rage cycle again because now I'm just like they cut all of this. They yep. cut every single none of Stark. this. They're they're having fucking Batfinger pepper in R plus L exposition, but they <sighs> don't even like include the part that matters to John about the. Oh my god. Because, like, like R plus L equals J, like, the the theory, I'm sorry if we're shocking anyone who's ever heard this before, but there's uh, the kind of, it's, like, most surveys that are done, 95% of the fandom just accepts this as canon, that John's parents are uh, Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark, because but Ned are. isn't actually his father. Yeah, which, like, at this point, it's just canon. Like, it's the only thing that makes sense. We promise. And we, when, you, when you reread the book series, like, kind of thinking this in mind, it's just obvious. It's obvious from the very beginning that this is the truth. Um... But like D and D treat it like this is like like little secrets that like oh we have because they feel like special little boys who are figuring it out. Yeah, that was the secret that let them, you know, adapt this TV series. In reality, Martin was asking about it because I was like, do you understand themes and shit? Yeah, (laughs) like. Like, because I, I didn't get it by myself, so I'm not suggesting that anyone who doesn't get it the first time they read a Game of Thrones is an idiot. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't at all. No. Yeah, but but like, it's not that obtu- it's not that obscure. No, and when you, when you read it with that lens, everything mm-hmm. clicks. It. It's it's, yeah. it's literally everything. Yeah, it's like there's a song of ice and fire. I don't know. Yeah, like there's a song of ice, like uh, Lyanna Stark, and fire, like Rhaegar Targaryen, and the product of their union is John. So it's a song of yeah. Oh my okay. god. I'm, like, I'm seriously <laughs> cardboard. Just has no internal conflict, and yeah. that's bullshit. Like, there's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. Can we just talk about Sam? Yeah, let's uh, talk about Sam. So we're not going to talk about the old gods. John won't forsake his old gods. He also has a major strong connection to Ghost in the books, mm-hmm. and he thinks Ghost is like of the old gods because Ghost's eyes look like the Weirwood's eyes. And I'm yeah, he probably has a point. He, he probably definitely has a point. <laughs> and he's like a total warg and kind of good at it. <laughs> yeah. A, a warg is... Um, it's what Bran human. Does. Yeah. It, it's it's a human who specifically can uh, go into the mind of a wolf. Yeah. If, if it's other animals, that's just skin changing. But a warg is specifically a wolf. Yeah. And then Bran goes a step further. But um. yeah. 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 So all the Stark children are wargs and it's very important. <laughs> nope. Just Bran. Who wasn't even on this fucking season? Oh my god! Yeah. Sam, Sam, Sam. Let's talk about Sam and his toxic masculinity. Yeah. Well, his entire plot line is how he learns how to be a toxic male. To, okay. <sighs> Julia and I love Book Sam. Like we mm-hmm. kind of have a thing for him. His He's strong in the real way. Pop, He's strong in the real way. And his whole Feast for Crows plot line, he gets sent off to go be a maester, which is actually mm-hmm. very triggering for him because when he was younger, he thought he wanted to be a maester. And, and he kind of mentioned it idly one day to his father or something. And Randall Rape Apologist Charlie chained him to a fucking wall. because For three days. Because he's like, well, you want to wear a chain? I'm Randall Rape Apologist Charlie. Which is ridiculous yeah. because... <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous because Sam is not the son that his father wants. He wants, like, a martial asshole like he is but sam is like you know intellectual who likes to dance and wear velvet why did he let him go to the citadel it's really yeah and like well because because he ends up sending him to night's watch because he wants 
he yeah. doesn't want him in the succession anymore. I mean, sending him to the Citadel would have done the exact same thing. But I don't know. He he just didn't. He doesn't like this idea that a, a man of House Tarly serving somebody else, and he basically sent him to the wall to die. So yeah, so it's a big asshole. it's a big deal that John orders Sam to the mm-hmm. to the Citadel. Uh, John also orders Sam to not be afraid anymore, or at least not show it. Yeah. Um. So uh, to get to the Citadel, this is complicated, but John also switches Gilly's baby with Mance's baby to save <laughs> Mance's baby because, you know, power in a king's, king's blood. blood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he sends Amon because power in a king's blood. So yeah. Amon and is- also because Amon is really old and he like, just yeah. like, you know, give him a break, let him retire. Well, and it's also, he, yeah. he's pretty sure Mel would burn him. Yeah. So it's to save Amon, but obviously like if you're a really old dude and you're going on a ship voyage... Not the best idea. Yeah. Uh, they have to go to Bravos first to go to the Citadel, and in Bravos, in Bravos, oh, uh, John sent um, Darren this other night spot. Yeah, he's not important. He's not important. Well, he's kind of yeah, yeah. Well, he's kind of important, but yeah, we can. But like, him. Sam's just trying to like get passage to Old Town for them in yeah, Bravos. He spends all their money on a doctor for Amon. <laughs> yeah, and then Darren just ditches them because he's like, "Bye, I'm gonna go sing, and it's gonna be way more fun. I I don't yeah. want to do this anymore." <laughs> Which kind of can't blame him. Uh, no. Arya ends up killing Damon. Yeah, for being a deserter. And she runs into Sam, but doesn't. We, you know, they don't like tell each other who they are or anything. Yeah, it's just one of those like cute little things. It's, yeah, which, it's, you would think that D and D would like lap up, but no, they, they just skip. Love it. they love their of all the gin joints. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, they cut that. Um, and and. Yeah, it's just Sam trying to navigate them to Old Town, and like Eamon's getting sick, and he realizes Gilly's baby is switched, and she's in horrible mourning, and and you know this really does a number on his idealization of John because before that John was kind of you know the perfect Night's Watch, the perfect hero, and he really looked up to him, but then he realized that John did this horrible thing, this kind of really morally ambiguous thing, and he really really hurt Gilly, who Sam is obviously in love with at this point. Yeah, so- and he he also he also puts Amon's death heavily on John because you can see it was the travel. Yeah, that that and, and you know I think he does understand the point about the king's blood. I oh, think absolutely he gets he does. it. Yeah, but. He, you know, it's very ambiguous. It's very morally yeah, ambiguous. Eamon tries to explain to him, like, you know, John is Lord Commander now. He has to make all these hard choices. But, you know, he has to he had to kill the boy. That's what kill the boy means. <laughs> yeah, and Eamon told John that before he left, like, before mm-hmm. all this shit happened, because it actually made sense. Yeah. At the time, yeah. And, yeah so it's very the, tempting the whole... to get into the whole history behind that, but I'll fight the urge. Okay. Yeah, so the whole thing was him kind of, you know... This breakdown of his idolization of John, and then it was, I think, deconstructing for the reader the concept of toxic masculinity, because mm-hmm. what we're finding out is that John, John, that Sam is strong in the real way. Yeah. Um, And it's it's great, because when he gets to the Citadel, and it's, you know, it's not even straightforward at the fucking Citadel. They, like, make him wait for hours <laughs> yeah. because he didn't tip the right guy, and then and then he ends up basically pouring his soul out to a sand snake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like he's a changed man by the end of his journey but he's not he, like you know he's not like all of a sudden mr manly man he's still very much sad but he, he has you know more confidence he just it, yeah and when he's talking it's just like all of his experiences tumble out of him about like the face yeah. of the first man about like every everything that goes on just kind of pours out of him and when you- uh, there's this point where he's introduced to someone and he's just like he's like remembered what john told him to hide his fear and he's like no i'm not a coward I went north of the wall, and I fight a white. I, I fought another, you know? but and, but right, it's but, not like it's not something he was boasting about the whole time. It was just this is a huge moment for him that he was able to say that. Right, it was earned. Yeah, 
And it was clearly in the response. Yeah, it was it was the culmination of this arc, really. Yeah. And then, do you want to talk about Sam and Gilly in the books? Yes. I kind of ship Sam and Gilly in the books, you know, the good ship, fat pig mast. But basically what happens is that Eamon dies, and they're both really, really sad. And then they have sex, because they want to. And that that's really it. Like, they wanted to have sex with each other, so they did. Yeah. Because, you know, they, they spent fine. all this time bonding. Like, they, they you know, they, they did that whole thing where they trekked through the wilderness together. And, you know, Gilly, Gilly is in, like, a very kind of emotionally tumultuous place. Like, you know, she just lost her child. But she had this, this other child who she also loves because she's been nursing him for months now. And, like, and just she's, she's obviously, like, the way that she sees Sam is obviously not the way that he sees himself. Like, she doesn't see him as a coward or, like, you know, as a useless, you know, Nancy boy or whatever whatever yeah. it is that his father called him. I actually get really emotional about this relationship, to tell you the truth. And he's, like, <laughs> and he's like you know, he kind of – he's in the same place that John was with Ygret. Like, he obviously has feelings for her. He wants to be with her, but he knows he has these vows. And he knows – like, he tells her, like, this can't be forever. Like, I can't – I can't be in a relationship with you forever. She's like, yeah, I understand, but this is what and I, I mean- want for now because – this is what I want for now. That's really, like, they want this, and that's it. Yeah, and at the same time, I mean, this is, Gilly doesn't prioritize herself. No, ever, not at all. Really. Like, there's she... a point in uh, A Storm of Swords where she's just like, so when we get to Castle Black, do you think I can stand in front of the fireplace for a little bit? Not for too long. I, I understand that I have no right to stand in front of the fire. I'm just asking, as a favor, do you think I could stand in front of the fire for a little bit? Yeah, I mean, she's, she's been... Through yeah. a whole lot of abuse, you know, her, whole, her life. whole life. She's ridiculously sheltered, and she just is used to not prioritizing herself. So the fact that this is something that she wants and this is something mm-hmm. she acts on is a huge like, deal. It's important for her too, you know. It it, it is. <laughs> I am emotional now. God yeah. Me. No, it's just, and, it's just like there's nothing. You know, there's nothing that happened to, but like, Eamon died, and that was kind of like, you know, the, the, you know, immediate cause. But there's nothing. They got a little drunk. It was very, it was very real. It was very emotionally real. I mean, nothing happened to, like, you know, thrust them together. It's just like, it just kind of happened because that's, that's how sex happens sometimes. It was very, it's a very authentic relationship. And what really pisses me off is that in the show, (laughs) everything pisses me off in the show. Mm The show, I mean, we already said Sam's entire plotline was revolving around toxic masculinity. It was literally the opposite point of this. It was him learning that he needs to, like, I'm going to go to the old town to save my woman. (laughs) Fuck you. Like, complete opposite. Mm -hmm. I'm so angry about that. But what really bothers me, too, is that Gilly, her portrayal is, she's sassy? Like, I have no idea what the fuck they were going for. Because she's sassy unless she isn't. You know, like, she's sassy unless they need like her to be telling Sam, "Let the rapists get me." That was kind of true to how Gilly of yeah, the books, like would Gilly, respond. Gilly would do that. She would be like, "Don't like, I'm not worth you risking yourself for, Sam. Don't do it." But but why was the rape scare there? Yeah, like it was complete. Like we just talked about how they had, you know, they they started a physical relationship just because they wanted to. They didn't need anything to force that to happen. And like to tell you the truth, I was just kind of assuming that they're already having sex in the first episode because they're acting like it. They were acting yeah, like they were just together. Actually, that's actually a really good point. Yeah. So, like, nothing had to happen to prompt this. And then they gave us... Their sex was, like, their clothes were on. Yeah. Because, because they're not they think, worthy of full frontal, I guess. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's you know, the desexualized Ned and Cat all over again. Yeah. Everything has to be male gaze on this goddamn yeah, nobody show. Nobody wants to think about the fat kid having sex. And, like, I think Gilly is supposed to be sassy because it's like, well, why else would Sam be interested in her? Yeah. Or some shit. Except when she's not. Except when she's magically Gilly again. Yeah. And then Sam is never Sam. No. Sam on the show is this bro. And actually, there's this amazing um, 
post written. I'm going to link it in however we're posting this when I can dig it up that uh, someone did. I think it might have been Turtle Paste. Um, about Sam's toxic masculinity and how he's like really voyeuristic and gross from the start. Yeah, that was Turtle Paste. Yeah, like, like, was... like even like in the second in the first season, they have that no homo conversation with John. But that was like you know it was kind of like a good humored aberration. I think you could call it. But by the second season, yeah, like showboating Sam is there. He's well established, mm-hmm. and he's creepy. He's like a lecherous creep. Yeah, and all he thinks about is sex apparently, because that's what anybody like all anybody thinks about it on the show. Fucking well, fighting. it's all the writer. It's all the writers think about. <laughs> yeah, me, I guess so. Let's so not psychoanalyze D and D. Let's not go there. That's Sam and Gilly. And then uh, we're going to talk about Stan. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, Stannis is an opaque figure in the books. Yeah, he's not a POV. But, but you know, he's there and, and he makes demands of John a lot. Yeah, a lot. Like, he's, like, the whole thing is that, like, you know, he's a king and kings will ask everything from you. That's what they do. And um, he, he, he gives John the Winterfell, he offers John Winterfell, like, a while before John becomes Lord Commander. And John really has to ruminate on that. Yeah. And then he... When John turns it down, like Stannis is pissy with him, and then every every little thing, like, like and he when keeps John... mentioning it, like like what's clearly like you know a couple of months later, he's still talking about like I offered to make you Lord of Winterfell and you rejected it, and I'm still not just, over it. It's just so Stannis; he's never uh, over any slight, no. you know. That, and he's he's still bitching thing. about how Robert made him uh, Lord of Dragonstone instead of Lord of Storm's End. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so he's still upset about the Winterfell thing. He gets mad when John Mercy kills Mance, which wasn't actually. Mance, but he gets upset by that and john actually had like some authority to do it in the books because he was yeah. already lord commander well because uh, Mance was a night's watch deserter so he was supposed to be there to deal with really but yeah 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 well and actually john didn't even shoot him himself he had like his men ready yeah. to do it because he knew what was going to happen um and like you know john ends up giving stannis really good advice about the yeah. the hill tribes in the north yeah he tells the- them like you know to go there and like listen to their stupid stories and praise their stupid daughters and eat their stupid food and they'll they'll follow you anywhere <laughs> yeah that's kind of how john frames it we're not being rude against them like we think they're kind of cool but yeah. <laughs> whatever and 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 Stannis of the show like you know obviously we talked about it more intimately in the winter hell retrospective but mm-hmm. while Stannis was at the wall he didn't really do anything first of all davos was still there so they kind of had to give half of Stannis's lines to davos just because yeah because they, davos they needed davos because uh, davos in the books was sent to treat with wyman manderley who is the lord of white harbor and a very important dude and he gets kind of sidetracked <laughs> Oh yeah, we'll get into it. Like poor Davos, what the fuck was he this season? He just he like pops in and it's just like, by the way, John, you have no friends. Okay, bye. <laughs> what? Thank you. But so some of Stannis's like moments get get handed over to Davos mm-hmm. for that reason. But then otherwise, you know, he's like reduced to that weird dude who's snarking against a pillar. He's the king. Yeah, and, and like like every like he he comes to the well with quite a, uh, a large army. And, you know, Selyse is there and she she never leaves. She stays at the wall and she's kind of a pain in the ass to jo- to John and everybody else. Yeah, and she, she started out at Eastwatch and then she yeah. like comes over. And it's like, because it's she doesn't deal. like how they were treating her in Eastwatch. <laughs> and so Selyse is like a piece of work in the books, but she's not the most despicable person ever like she's in the show. Yeah, she likes her daughter. Yeah. For one. Yeah. Maybe because, yeah. Yeah, she's all like, this is my daughter and she's going to be queen one day and everything. And Yeah. Yeah. But no, she's a giant pain in the ass, and Stannis is always making demands of John, and and some people think that John's way too close to Stannis, and mm-hmm. they have a 
point. Yeah, he's like, and he's kind of like being worn down by all Stannis' demands, but he's also like, he's not like, he doesn't particularly like Stannis or like care about his claim at all. But like, he There's sees, the- he's the only, like, they, they sent messages to all of the kings, all of the lords, and Stannis is the only one who came. So- Stannis is the king who cared. And also Stannis wants to beat the Boltons. And yeah. John has very personal beef against the Boltons that he's trying not to let color things. But of course it does because, she, you like know, he's a human being. Hey, guess what, Julia? Shedding your identity is not that easy. Oh my god. That is so is deep, that, Kylie. Is that like a theme that a Martin theme in every single plotline? <sighs> and Stannis deserved a whole lot better than how Game of Thrones yeah. treated him. But we don't even like Stannis. Like but his scenes at the wall were immaterial at best. Yeah. Like, He's mostly just correcting grammar and making Yeah, we don't offers that I don't like Stannis that much, but like he does. It's the thing about Game of Thrones. It makes us defend characters that we don't even care about that much. (laughs) But we just get like really rolled up all of a sudden. It's like, no, Danny must be protected. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking speaking of which, Melisandre's bra. Yes. Well, Melisandre, it was kind of a huge shock uh, that there's this one character in A Dance with Dragons that's from her point of view. One chapter. One chapter. And it was it was like shock like like I don't think like there was even rumors about it beforehand the book was released and but then like oh Melisandre has a point of view and this is huge because she was one of the most opaque characters and according to Martin himself she was like the most misunderstood character too yeah we don't know how so see, Martin says things sometimes and you're just like what do you mean what detail and we really want to know about the Ironwood inheritance but um like the POV is illuminating in some ways but like in most ways it just you know, it just muddies the waters. But it um it kind of establishes this connection she has, this kind of implied connection to Bran and Blood Raven and all the stuff that's going on north of the wall with like, you know, the children of the forest and everything. We have like no idea like there's there's some fan theories about how she's connected to certain things. But um like just it it also shows her sincerity yeah. and her commitment to Stannis, which is important. Yeah, it's very important. And but like, also And it implies that she's really old too. Yeah. But there's also this kind of like, she's kind of shooting in the dark too. And that's something mm-hmm. I think a lot of people suspected but didn't really know. And it's kind of, uh, kind of, uh, intimated that she's kind of a rogue red priestess too, that she's not here with the sanction of the Verlor Vatican. And yeah. Yeah. I think my favorite part is when she's like, I need to remind myself to pretend to eat sometimes. Like, yeah. What the fuck is going on, Mel? And she talks about how like now that Stannis isn't here, she doesn't really use her bed anymore. And she's like, I, I, I've heard somebody tell me that that, that doesn't actually mean, like somebody told, uh, mentioned once some, in some context, that doesn't mean that she was fucking Stannis, which I think she totally was, but th- she's so worried about him that she can't sleep. I don't know, sure. but whatever. Sure, Jan. But <laughs> the other thing is like, Mel very clearly has an interest in John. Yes. To the point where we seem like it's kind of like, well, she, deci- a little she bit decides to stay at the wall because she's like, no, no, this is, this is where the action is. And Stannis yeah. is just like, grunt. When she keeps looking for Azor High, but you know, uh, Rallor only shows her, her snow. snow. With a capital snow, S. Is it, yeah, is it with a capital S? Yeah. Huh, yeah. But that's just one of those moments where you're just like, really, Martin? <laughs> really? I'm ready to go. Um, but no, the whole thing, it's it's a lot less ham-fisted than her going, I'm here to serve my lord, and then yeah. it just pivots to John. And it's, I don't think she's serving, she doesn't seem to have an interest in John because she thinks he's hot. No. Which, like, that was Melisande's bra. She was creeping she, on him. She doesn't, the- she doesn't necessarily want to, Fuck John. <laughs> yeah, since the, the season four finale, Bella Sands bra has been like eyeing cardboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sign me up for this. 
And and then, you know, are you a virgin? Like, stop harassing him. Yeah, that's a rude question, Mel. It's none of your fucking business. It's a really rude question. And thank God he's experienced. Yeah. Because, you know. Because he might have had to admit that he was a virgin. Oh, my gosh. So much bullshit there. <sighs> well, no, John's a real man who performs cunnilingus his first time, which is unfortunately canonical. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the first time that they had sex in the books. No, but. but it was the first time true. they had naked sex, because before that they were the having first- blanket sex. Yeah. These are very essential details, you guys. <laughs> this is why unabashed book snobs are here. We're here to provide this. For you. <laughs> um, but no, like Melissa Sandsbrot really was reduced to her tits, and that yeah. sucks. You know, she's she's definitely not my favorite character, yeah, she, but I she think- has all this knowledge. She has like you know this. She knows things that none of the other characters know, and you know she she uses kind of like you know her sexual allure as a weapon, but. That's like maybe strategy number four, you know, like she goes through all her strategies. She cosplays, she cosplays as a grit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, then there's Mance who was legit killed off. Yeah. Kind of hilariously. And, well, they just didn't use him at all. They never used him in the previous seasons. No, that's what I'm saying. Like there was no relationship with Mance. We just kind of knew of him. Mm-hmm. And, and he was Sierra and Hines. Yeah. And he did a really good job acting. Yeah. But that conversation where John's like, if you bend your knee, you could save your people and it would be really good. And he's like, nope. <laughs> because, I don't know. What and his whole reason? thing is about saving his people. Yeah. I I don't understand because I don't understand why he didn't, like, he had some kind of bullshit pseudo-philosophical reason, right? They wouldn't respect me if I did that. They would they would abandon me. Yeah. Okay. Sure, Jan. <laughs> Another sure, Jan. Um, there's also Torment, because, like, Beardy, as we said, was not Torment. Yeah, I like Torment. I think at one point I said that he was my third favorite character, which probably, I don't know. I don't know if he is. But I think I really, you're overblowing that choice. Yeah, but, like, there's there's nothing particularly special about him, and I just kind of enjoy him. <laughs> you know? He's good, and he's a, yeah. uh, you just you just like him because of his, uh, he, he was crying about his kid. That's why you like him. Yeah. He has a very large penis, and he talks about it a lot. He's body. Um, he actually is the one. Like one of his kids became a White Walker, and he like tells John the story. Not about a White Walker, a, a white, a white. I'm sorry, yeah, duh. and he he tells John the story with tears in his eyes, and it's like you know, it's touching. He's just he's he's a manly he's man, but he's a he yeah. cares about his kids because he's a fucking human being. Third favorite character, really? I think like I, there was like a thread on Westerstar.org, which is like like uh, your three favorite characters in a bar together. Create a scenario. And I created a scenario where Ariane and Tormund were having sex and uh, Arya was looking at them askance. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's going to be like three of your favorite characters in a bar, then yeah. you have to have Tormund. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And what's weird is that Beardy was like, he just wasn't Tormund. He kind of was given Val. Yeah. Val's Val. And we really don't like Val. But <laughs> You really don't like Val. I think Val's fine. Well, I think she's a little... Val is a Mary Sue, like, let's be honest. Yeah, well, Val is just this, like, wilding woman. She was the sister of Mance Reader's wife, which means which means shit all to the wildlings. Right, but, uh, like, Celise and, like, all her people keep calling her the wildling princess, even though they don't have that concept. Yeah. So. And um, she's just this, this wildling chick who does, who's beautiful, and everyone is in love with her, and she does everything perfectly. She was literally a princess in the tower. Like, yeah. why does everyone care about her so much? I just don't get what the big fascination is. To me, she just seemed like well, the I most interesting. Get, I don't get like what the big fascination with her in universe is either. <laughs> she's hot, I guess. I don't know, but she uh, has honey hair. Yeah, John. Uh, she's the one that John sends to find Torment. Is there ever a sight more delightful? What was it John said? I don't know. <laughs> but she, yeah, she's the one that that John sends to find Torment, and she does that successfully. Like to be fair, John does want to fuck her. Maybe yeah. that's part of like the appeal. Maybe. 
But I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and she she says these things about Shireen and Grayscale. You, but yeah. like, it's one of those characters, like like kind of like Aryan. Like you would think that Dandy would love this, <laughs> but no, they just. She's cut not her like up. other girls. Yeah. She, she's actually not like other girls. <laughs> yeah, and John even says it. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much more to her. Is there, John? Mm. Sorry, we're not trying to shit. Like, <laughs> we, we don't like like. Believe she's it or not, not really we don't think George R. R. Martin is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's fine. I think she serves the function she needs to. I think yeah, he, she does, yeah. I think he might have been describing, like, a crush of his or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe I'm being overly doylist about it. Well, if we're overly Watsonian, I still don't understand the giant appeal. Well, because he, he wants, like, he's into her. Yeah. Okay. That's uh-huh. great. He's also not going to go there, I don't think. No, I don't think he will. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with her now? So. Yeah. And, and all, all of the, like, Queensmen want to fuck her too, right? Who are the Queensmen, by the way? Did we talk about that? Oh, yeah, the Queensmen. Um, they're Queen Solis's, like, well, they're, they're kind technically of the really Melisandre's peeps. Yeah, they're... They're, they're Stannis' followers who are really into R'hllor. So, Solis is really into R'hllor. They got yeah. that right on the show. Um, And she, more into it than Stannis seems to be. And same with Mel. So, like, the Queensmen are the, like, people of Stannis. There's Kingsmen and Queensmen in mm-hmm. his army and the queensmen are mel stands and yeah. willor stands and they're the people like you know in his actual he has queensmen with him obviously yeah and they're the ones that are like let's just burn people because the snow's really bad and the kingsmen are like no no we're not doing that yeah, the, the kingsmen like tend to be still followers of the seven and like they're very loyal to status but they're not into this newfangled religion thing yeah exactly and back at the wall a bunch of queensmen were left with queen Selyse because yeah. she's like you know, chilling there. Bleeding her uncle. Want. And there's a lot of tension between the Queensmen and the Wildlings and the Night's Watch. Like, yeah. Because of course there would be. But yeah, like the, the Queensmen all want to fuck Val too. <laughs> and they all want to marry Val because they think They that, think she's a princess. Yeah. <laughs> and John is just like rolling his eyes all the time going like, no, she's just some chick. <laughs> and I like how he's try- he tries to explain that like, you can't just marry that. You yeah. have to steal her. Yeah. It's like, what the, What are you on? Yeah, because, like, these, like, wilding women aren't so into marital rape. No. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird reaction. Uh... <laughs> um, yeah, that is true that they all want to marry her. But that's, that's another point of adaptation is that all this shit was cut. cut. Like, internal tensions matter. There's just nothing to, like, we've spent, like... 70% talking about the book plot here because there's just nothing to the show plot. There's nothing interesting. There's nothing like, yeah, we're, to we're get your teeth around. You're just, we're trying to rub it in your face. Like, look what could have been. <laughs> no, you know what we got, Julia? We got Ollie. I really think they think that they're doing something special with Ollie. We talked about how he is the protagonist because he mm-hmm. actually has the arc. Yeah. Um, did we, we need to talk about why Ollie was invented because not everyone knows this. Really? Mm. If you've been following both of us, then you know it pretty yeah. well. Because well, we make fun of this a lot. There was this intern, once upon a time. In Literally an intern. Wherever they write Game of Thrones. Uh, there was a, an intern named Dave Hill. And he was... Yeah. And apparently he made some kind of offhand comments during the course of writing season four. Because they had already written the scene uh, where Ollie and his dad talk about... Uh, their, his mom's potatoes and they get attacked by the wild things and dave goes off to uh, goes up to D and he's just like hey so wait what's- i'm sorry i need to read this interview okay why don't you because just do that benioff like was quoted in an interview saying it just like this we had an assistant named dave hill 
One day, last summer, he walked into our office and said, Hey, you know that kid whose family gets massacred by the wildlings? The one who runs to Castle Black to let them know the wildlings are nearby? Yeah. Well, said Dave, doesn't it make sense that he'd stay at Castle Black and become a Night's Watch recruit? Where else is he going to (laughs) go? You're right, we said. That does make sense. And then, what if during the battle for Castle Black, he's the one who ends up killing Ygritte? This year, Dave Hill is a writer on the show. So they really like that idea. That is a direct quote from Benny Offenweiss. And this year, they're like, hey, what if we did something really shocking? Dave Hill's episode, by the way, is something special. Dave yeah, Hill's episode, episode four. is episode four. It's um, Faith Militant. Is that the name of it? Jeez, uh, what is it called? Sparrows? I swear to God. Sons of the Harpy. Oh, right. Because the episode where the straw men. Yeah. Yeah. It's just an episode. I couldn't. I I got it wrong. Which straw men they named the episode after. Sorry. <laughs> so many of them. Uh, but like seriously, if you're gonna rewatch anything from this season, or if you haven't watched anything from this season and you want to, just rewatch episode four. Yeah. It is really something magical. But apparently, they were so enamored with Dave Hill's idea of Ollie that they kept him around and decided, wouldn't it be great if he was the main actor? Yeah. Killing John. Yeah, and. uh Dave, Dave Hill is now the staff writer. He gets a credit at the end of every episode. I'm not sure what that means, but... Maybe he wrote every Ollie scene. Maybe. <laughs> All the delicacy of... And, and it's just... I mean, there's nothing wrong... Like, there's nothing wrong with this character in isolation. There's nothing wrong with the arc that he has. But, like, it's just so sledgehammery. And, like, the whole thing isn't that it's just one dude with an axe to grind against John. And... Like, is he the leader of the Ides of Ollie? Like, was it all his idea? Because it like, seems like all it was part for him. Like, they oh, it's super significant. Or like, they know that the audience is super invested in this kid, and that it's super significant, so they all part for him. I don't know. John's last word was Ollie, mm-hmm. not ghost. <laughs> so Rob's last word in the books was supposed to be Greywind. Yeah, and they changed it to Mother, which is fine. Like. Which is better than Ollie, because, you know. It's better than Talisa, but... um, (laughs) Oh my god, if he had said Talisa in his last word. (laughs) Well, but they weren't full-on fart-sniffing yet. They they started full-on fart-sniffing this season. And I'm sorry, we're we're quoting Weiss, who said we don't want to be known as fart-sniffers, but okay, you are. You missed that boat, kid. (laughs) (laughs) But the fact that they made John's last word be Ollie was just... No, just this is a character who's like, this closest analog in the books is Satin who is this uh, former child sex worker from Old Town, who uh, John makes a steward because he's very good at stewardy things. And he kind of spends uh, a lot of time kind of pushing back against this notion that there's some kind of pederastic implications going on. Even though, like, uh, he's older, like, Satin is probably older than John. But whatever. He's just like, no, I made him my steward because I thought he would be good at it and just shut the fuck up. And (laughs) who cares what he was before now he's a brother of the Night's Watch, and that's it. And, yeah, some people ship them, but I'm kind of against that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Martin would have been, like, hiding it. No. You know? well, I mean, that's kind of, yeah. That's the doyless kind of thing. If, if, if like, this is my argument. If John and Satin were having sex, it would just say so. Even if they were hiding it from everybody else, the text wouldn't feel any need to hide it from the reader. So, sorry, they're not having sex. No. I don't think so. <laughs> that was kind of a tangent. It was. <laughs> Yeah, so the fact that, like, they foregrounded Ollie yeah. so much, because Satin was not involved in the mutiny. He was just kind of like, 
a dude that was there and it mm-hmm. sort of he brought John his beer in the morning. It sort of fed into like the growing anxiety surrounding John's leadership because yeah, because a lot of his brothers aren't cool with Satin because you know he's a former prostitute and they're homophobes. Yeah, so like it was just kind of background tension. Mm-hmm. But you know, Ali is a bigger character than Thorn by a lot. A lot, yeah. Slint, like Jesus, the beheading of Slint was just meaningless. I know. I, I guess it was revenge for Ned, right? Because the theme of the season was revenge. <laughs> well, so Ides of Ollie was all about revenge for his family. Oh, God, I, don't I know. hate this show. I hate this show so much. <laughs> so, I guess this is a hard episode for us because just like everything was just so devoid of any kind of meaning. It had no soul. Yeah, that's what. Like things just happened. It, it was like a scatter shot of plot points where you know. Mance burns, and they cut out Mance going to Winterfell, so whatever. Mance burns, plot point. Check off. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter that it made no sense. That conversation with Mance made no sense. They could have burned him for being a Night's Watch deserter, like it happened in the books. They didn't yeah. have to change that. No, they, they just, just like they didn't have to add in that random rape attempt. They're just like, why are they doing these things? I don't understand. <laughs> no idea. Um, check off the point for, you know, Ollie, bring me my sword. Mm-hmm. Don't get me started on changing all the iconic lines no it's, it's not that they changed like like we have like it's not the isolated incident that they changed a line that's the problem it's the pattern it's the fact that they seem to be going out of their way to change all the iconic lines like they're like oh this line is extremely emotionally significant to a large proportion of the readership let's change it oh it would be really confusing for everyone to know who cat is yeah so <laughs> your sister Let's make her Lana of the Canals this year. Speaking yeah. of cats. Let's. Like, why? Why is any of this happening? Uh, so, yeah. So, the, the plot point there, plot point for, I don't know, Hard Home obviously wasn't a plot point, but, um, like, ch- just the whole John gets stabbed just felt like a plot point because, yeah. again, what, you know, they wrote Traitor on a piece of cardboard, but what did it actually, what did he actually do? He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to go break my vows. See ya. Like, that didn't happen. No. He's a traitor because he wanted the wildlings to survive because ice zombies, which he told them about very specifically. Like, no, just the Black Brothers just come off as these like xenophobic, hard-headed idiots. What about Thorn? Why did Thorn open the wall for them? I know. Was he supposed to leave them there to starve? That would have been awkward. I don't know. Well, isn't it more awkward that he just stabbed John and then all the wildlings are right there? Yeah, like all the wildlings are there and they're kind of into John now. So what? what's the plan? I don't understand. Yeah, no, I don't think they have a plan. I mean, I don't, I don't see how they can. Because the other thing too is, John's an eyewitness to Hardhome. Mm-hmm. It's not just dead things in the woods, dead things in the water. He saw the full-on fucking army of the dead, and he saw a guy raising dead. Yeah. So he came back with that information, and they said, you know what's a really good idea? Let's change leadership right now. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, it is. Nothing is nothing. Nothing is nothing. The best that can be said about folly. Is that, like, this wasn't an illogical plotline. It wasn't Carol's Landing, where just nothing made sense. This made sense if you accept that everyone's just behaving because they're, like, xenophobic assholes. Yeah, and everything is super simplified. I mean, some things did make sense, like the Mance's conversation, but we can pretend it almost did. Like, (laughs) It sounded really deep. The context was, the longer you think about the context, the worse it becomes. But it wasn't, it wasn't that nothing adds up it's just there's no nuance there's no intrigue mm-hmm. there's no theme there's no character arc except for ollie and a little bit sam <laughs> yeah but 
Sam's character arc is learning how to be a man, so. And it's totally disconnected from what's happening. Like, John <sighs> literally does nothing this year. You know, they fucking rushed him to become Lord Commander. No. No. They delayed him becoming Lord yeah, Commander. Yeah, so, because I mean. they wanted to end with the Battle of the Wall. Right. Because every, every decision needs to be made around a battle. At the Wall, apparently. At the wall, too, there were two other battles they might have adapted that are coming up in, or we think are coming up in Winds of Winter. Well, and the uh, Battle of Fire is definitely going to happen. Well, and, like, the Battle of Ice happened on the show, they just didn't show it to us. Yeah. So. Well, apparently, <laughs> Marine is under attack, according to the... <laughs> to Sam's source and Marine. <laughs> it's totally Dario. <laughs> <laughs> She's fucking with him. Yeah. Dar- Dario is your on Greyjoy. Of course. It's a very plausible theory. So no, are we going like, to do an episode about theories? Is that going to happen? I think we do need to do an episode about theories. Actually, I think that we might take a break from the retrospectives and do that one next, just because we need we need to catch up writing the damn retrospectives. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, piling on the show is really, really fun. Like, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. I do enjoy that. But I think a book-only episode might be kind of fun. Yeah. It might be uplifting. Yeah. And then we can talk we can, all like, about... Be you, happy. Yeah, we can talk all about Jojen Paste and uh, <laughs> how the High Septon is totally Howland Reed, of course. Yeah. 100% guys. <laughs> but so, yeah, no, yeah, uh, we're, sorry for, we're sorry for this log fest. It's just, we, we didn't write the damn thing. No, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing here to really talk about. Like, shit happens. Like, this is... <laughs> <sighs> That's kind of the theme of the spotlight. Shit <laughs> happens. So uh, send us your feedback. Tell us how about how this episode was boring in comparison to the other ones. We know. Yell at us. And, and you know, tell us that you're really mad that we're not a real ship also. Sorry. <laughs> and sorry, uh, keep sending your asks. We're going to do those ask, that ex- ask episode. Yeah, we're point. collecting them. Yeah, we, you don't know that we, we we're, might, we're being creepy and hoarding We them. might actually answer some of them on Tumblr. They might happen. Oh, yeah. But... Um, We're still like people. Yeah, and send us uh, suggestions for theories. I think we know most of them, but why not? Just send them. Uh, <laughs> and you can also email us. Uh, what's our email, Kylie? Oh, our email is unabashedbooksnobbery at gmail.com. That's all uh, one, one word. All one word, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thank, thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> all right, so that is John's Folly. We will see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. the tracks not lined up i already muted this section why is sounds like coming through on the microphone i've been editing for too long why do i make so many damn podcasts how did this become my life it's out of sync oh my god i'm never gonna finish this episode